We're back this week and we've got everyone back on the podcast. It's uh, good to have uh, Joel and Mick back. I'm Ash and um, yeah, it's uh, good to have you fellas back. Mick McWilliams at Low Flight Tech and Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo. Mick, uh, missed you last week. Uh, what have you been up to? Uh, driving, thank goodness. Um, so, uh, one of the benefits of being a Queenslander, aside from um, having the best rum in the world and uh, living in the best place on earth, we're also allowed to go outside and drive our cars around. So, we've certainly mm. been taking advantage of that. Um, I've been in the Kia Carnival, the 2.2 litre uh, turbo diesel, just the SLI, so not the super top spec one, but uh, it was it was actually kind of fun. It's um, looks a little bit sinister, so it was like all black, um, tinted windows. <laughs> looks like I'm abducting people um, in the name of government authority, of course, not just randomly <laughs> abducting people. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's something imminently satisfying about driving the carnival around. Mm. Um, yeah, and it kind of stands out to what we were talking about with uh, the the Grand Via. Um, you know, that's based on the high ace, so it's a big big square box. You can get a lot yeah. of stuff in it, mm-hmm. um, but it is quite high. Whereas the carnival, it's it's built as a people mover, not as a uh, a commercial vehicle and then adapted mm-hmm. to be a people mover. Mm-hmm. So it's got a lower roof. You can get the um, the rack on the roof if you want to get a, a cargo pod. Uh, when you fold that third row seat up, you've got the big bucket in the bottom so you can fit all the stuff. I mean, all the advantages we talked about last week. Um, but just the comfort mm-hmm. too in it is is, mm-hmm. um, is pretty good. And then... And it, it, it's, compared yep. to the Grand Via, it, it feels more family-friendly friendly like in terms of just you can fit stuff in it it's it just where the grand yeah. is a pure people mover the grand uh, you know the carnival feels like it's you know you could move a family in it um, yeah that's right and all their junk in grand view yeah in the grand view you feel like you're a delivery driver like you feel yeah. like you're up and doing things for whoever's behind you not everybody mm-hmm. doing stuff together in a in a sort of um in a family environment yeah uh, and then i got the I've had the Nissan Pathfinder uh, N-Trek for, for a few days. Actually, I hand it back tomorrow. And just a bit of, it's interesting doing the comparison between those two different solutions for the same sort of problem, you know, like the yeah. the larger SUV trying to do the same thing as what people movers do and sort of trying to figure out why, if there is any advantage to doing the SUV versus the van. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of any. Um, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I do, it, it's like, it's like you know, the Pathfinder isn't exactly a, a fantastic handler or anything. And it's, I love the V6 in it. The V6 sounds good. It pulls yep. fairly well. But when you're driving through CVTs, it just, uh, it's, it's a bit of a tiresome affair. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's I, still, I really it's still like, one of um, those SUVs that we spoke about a little while ago where if you plant the foot, it just, um, particularly when you're in just uh, normal everyday mode, it will spin, you know, those front wheels really, really easily. Uh, um, yes. You know, it's but kind I of like... But I always put it in 4 by 4 
Um, I do. Well, I put so you know you got your adapter where you got your two wheel drive is standard yep. default mm-hmm. setting, and then you got the four by four auto. I yeah. found with that set it at um, at auto, it will auto it'll automatically kick in, and I haven't really had any front end wheel spin for the whole mm-hmm. week that I've had it. Mm. The fuel economy hasn't been the best, to be honest. No. <laughs> um, but um, but you know that's the that's the price you pay for a large V6. Yeah. Having said that, I was kind of thinking about so you look in this space in the in the Pathfinder space, you've got the Kluger um, mm-hmm. had or still kind of have the Acadia. So those large V6 seven-seaters, um, the most popular one is the Kluger, but that is also by far the thirstiest out of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also kind of the, the better together overall package. The... <laughs> The Pathfinder doesn't seem to care about all the the hopes and needs and wants of contemporary SUVs. Just like, hey, I'm a big flying lounge chair with a nice kick of torque and, <laughs> and lots it. of comfort. That's kind yep. of its, you know, yeah. that's its that's its reason for existing. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. just. Um, you know, when you have that segment, one of the it's a very popular segment. Mm. You, they sort of stretch the boundaries of shopping against things like Prados and even, I mean, people buy things like the 200 series Land Cruisers, for example, and don't really do proper 4x4 stuff. But no. these seven-seater SUVs, they typically have more space and are more efficient. And it's funny, you can say that a Pathfinder is more efficient than anything, but when you compare it to real 4x4s, it really yeah. just goes to show you if you're mm-hmm. not utilising the proper 4x4 attributes of something like a Land Cruiser or the, mm-hmm. I mean, you had the Nissan um, Patrol a few weeks ago, you know, what, yeah. Yeah. what fuel economy is like in those things, you can actually can make these things considerably more fuel efficient than um, a lot of the alternatives. If, you, if you're not going to use the 4x4 mm-hmm. stuff, then mm-hmm. get one of these seven-seater mm-hmm. SUVs. Mm-hmm. That's if you don't particularly like going around corners, which is a yeah. trait you're not going to miss if you're going from a Land mm-hmm. from a 200 series. You know what I mean? Absolutely. The so, only yeah, thing I, SUV I, space I find and it, vans for me. Yep. Yeah. The only, the only problem, I think, with Nissan at the moment across the majority of the lineup, and, and we've seen it um, through leaks of, like, the next generation X-Trail. We see it in the even the Nissan Leaf at the moment that a lot of their vehicle fleet is older and it looks particularly on the interior side of things it does look the step behind like compare the interior that the carnival even in the sli spec and compare it to the n-trek um i think a lot of people would be a lot happier with the modern um touches and the modern styling of the carnival and and the other competitors well like even the kluger the kluger is getting older in its age now i think that came out was it 2012 13 um but that still feels a lot newer and fresher than the pathfinder um, and I think that's yeah. and that's the same oh, thing like with the patrol and everything. It, it kind of just feels like that step behind um, in terms of you know that design and features and everything like that compared to um, what everybody else is putting out. Yeah, but I also I really like 
I mean, let's put behind for a second. Let's not even talk about the actual um, infotainment system in the background itself for Pathfinder. It's quite old. Um, yeah. A little bit laggy and some of the things don't quite work. But the dial in the middle with the, what is it, eight-way um, circle and the OK button yeah. in the middle with the rotary yeah. dial around the outside, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is such a good interface to use. Yeah. So when you well, were, it like, kind picking, of borrows like, from the BMW iDrive. I drive, and I'm so glad Mendo yeah. stuck with it, even though they've added touchscreen. But I find that anytime any maker has a, a dial in the center to interact with the infotainment system, that is by far, I find, mm. A, the safest and most convenient and accurate yep. way to interact with that screen because you don't get any sort of haptic yep. feedback when you're touching a, a touch display or even... Everybody, and I'm sure everybody who uses a touchscreen in their car has done it at some point where you're trying to import an address or click on an icon and you go over yep. a bump and you hit the completely wrong thing because you're holding your arm a meter out from you and hoping that it doesn't move anywhere compared to the, you know, compared to the screen. Yep. And usually, and that's why like on cars that I drive, you'll, you'll find like fingerprints around the screen where you kind of like grab it and interact it with your thumb. Bracing because, yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know it's not the yep. best way to be interacting with a with a display particularly if even if you're at traffic lights you you, you have to cons you have to commit so much time and attention to interacting with the touchscreen um, compared to just yep. a simple dial with even with a couple of buttons around the space you go I want to go to the map that's it enter the you know enter the the um, address and and off you go um so, in a bit of a segue into what you've been driving, how does it compare yes. with the Sportage GT line? Sportage? Sportage? Sportage. Um, it's, like it's, you know, it's like Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like the Sportage, actually. It's, um, yeah, uh, I, I think it's probably my favourite in the midsize SUV yeah. segment. It, it looks good. Um, I've never really been a big Sportage fan in terms of the design it, it's always mm. been a little bit ugly and a bit clunky um but in yeah, particularly in the gt line spec i think it looks quite good it, it kind of looks a little bit more aggressive the lines are a lot tidier than previous generations and um the interior i i had a friend of mine jumping because he's been looking at a sportage for quite a long time now and um he he yep. brought up a thing i was like oh are they coming out with a new model yet and here i was thinking it's like oh, i actually thought this was pretty on trend um and yep. you know because compared to a lot of the other vehicles in that segment i think here have got a quite good package um in terms of how the screen the the dials and the buttons i think it all works well the, the flat bottom steering wheel i think is great a for getting in and out of but also just it feels a little bit yep. sporty i know that you're driving an suv but i just think it's a much nicer design I think in good, general that flat bottom it gives you orientation yeah. of where the wheels yeah going. absolutely i like it yeah Though it was really kind of, and it probably um, did it a little bit of a disservice where having the Renault traffic at the same time, which is a diesel engine, it's got a ton of torque down low. Whenever I'd hop into the Kia, I just put my foot down and I was wanting it to take off and it didn't. It just lacked a little bit of that down low torque and power um, that I was kind of wanting from it. Is it a 2.4, is it? The petrol? Yeah. Um, 
Ooh. But look, overall, most people most people are going to be happy with that and, and have absolutely no quarrels at all, um, particularly if you are keeping an eye on the fuel economy and things like that. Um, if you are acting a little bit more moderate, you know, modest with a bit more modesty um, on that accelerator pedal, it's not going to give you that sort of that pep. Um, which you kind of want. And it's something where directly comparing it to like the Renault Cadjar, which is basically a, a Renault's interpretation of what the, the, the cash car is. I fell in love with that, mm. um, with that car. And that probably is my personal favorite. It, it's not the best looking SUV, you know, in, in that, in that space, but I certainly found it the most comfortable and most um, most enjoyable to drive out of that out of that group. Um, and unfortunately, right. the, the Sportage which I had as a demo, and I'll have to show you a photo. I'll upload it. Um, is it had uh, this creamy coloured leather, and with at night it has really bright white LED lights for the interior cabin. And when you're hopping in and out, if you're if you're having friends or anything jump into the car because you're giving them a lift, you almost feel like you have to give them a bit of a, a heads up going, look, my seats aren't really dirty. It's just the way the lighting works because uh, the, right, the way okay. the lighting shoots down, it looks like on the, around the edges of the seats, it's incredibly yellowed and it looks like either it's really dirty or it's really badly sun damaged or anything like that, even though your car right. could be brand new. The bits where the light the light shines directly on it looks great, looks fantastic. The leather looks really nice, um, but it's just on those fringes where obviously the the color temperature changes and how it interacts and reflects along that that particular leather color. It it just makes it look really really dirty, um, and I guess nobody really looked at it under that type of scenario of if I'm driving at home at night, what does the lights, you know, what color temperature are we using for that LED light on the inside? What does it make the seats look like? Um, it's just one of those quirky little things where you're saying, oh, that looks really horrible. And you have to double check the seat. Oh, is that really it? Or no, it's, it's just the light. Um, so what's it like though for the, so I know the, the Seltos has gone um, upper generation in the interior. Um, the, infotainment system is the Sportage hasn't gone up yet has it that'll no be, that'll so be next it's, generation um, yeah so it's, it's it's basically in line with um like the the carnival that you've been yep. driving um it's that generation it still works with uh apple carplay android auto so if you do tend to use that most of the time that's it's not really going to impact you it does have wireless charging for your phone um yep. and it does a better job than most bmws where you can fit large phones into that charging holder um but unfortunately it is the purpose of the wireless charger is a bit lost if you still have to plug in a usb cable to get yeah, yeah. you know the wireless you know or to get the the carplay or android auto features so it's um it's one of those things I've, i'll be really excited to see when they do go to like a wireless carplay to really help that that wireless car charger really makes sense um because otherwise it's a little bit yep. confusing um in that sense um yeah yeah uh, i think volkswagen are the first aren't they coming out with it yeah, Volkswagen and BMW are really the ones that are leading it um, with both the wireless charging and the wireless capability. Wireless um, yeah. Yep. But BMW's biggest trouble, and I haven't, I don't, I'm not sure about Volkswagen, but their biggest trouble is that the holders which they're making for the wireless charging doesn't fit the phones that most people are probably using. 
so it's kind of a bit defeated um like i have a friend with 11 with an 11 pro max and mm. couldn't get it to fit in the m235i um to do the wireless charging uh huawei as long as I get my pro, 10 in there i'm all good yeah, well, the P30 Pro from Huawei doesn't fit. Um, 8 Plus doesn't fit. So most of those, um, if you have an, an iPhone 7 or an iPhone 8, it will fit fine. Um, but any of those, which pretty much is the entire phone market now, anything larger than that isn't, you're not going to have an easy time fitting it in, particularly if you have a phone case on it. I was looking for phones. So my kids always uh, Virgin Mobile, so I was looking to change yeah. over. And I had a look, and I think 7 and 8, iPhone 7 and iPhone 8 are like some of the cheapest um, kids' phones you can get mm. now. I'm looking. Yeah. What happened to Galaxy? They decided to stop counting and just went straight to 20. What's going on there? Yeah, I'm, that's right. <laughs> so uh, what's iPhone up to now? Are they 11? Yeah, it's 11 Pro, and I think uh, they're going to say it's going to be the iPhone 12. Um, but it's like, you know, everybody seems to, to stick on numbers. Uh, Windows went from Windows 8 to Windows 10 because we know that's 7, 8, 9. So um, at least that makes logical sense. Yeah, um. yeah. But, I mean, really, the, so the iPhone 7 and 8, it's, that's really not the BMW demographic, is it? No, they're uh, they're typically people buying BMWs. You would think are going to be on the on the bleeding edge of phone currency. I guess is the best way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But they're going to yeah. want the latest. So yeah, yeah. That's quite a quite a, quite a strange omission. Yeah. Um, and then you've got so I've also drove uh, the Renault Traffic, which I absolutely loved. I I enjoyed that driving driving a van, a commercial orientated van, a lot more um, than the Sportage. I'll admit. Um, but that's because I was, you know, I, I, I love driving something that's a little bit different and, you know, having a commercial van where you feel a bit, you know, it is a completely different environment. Um, yep. Yeah, it's a lot of fun and uh, it was really comfortable to drive on the highway and you can see where um, the difference between a commercial vehicle, it's kind of like, you know, going between different consumer level and enterprise level products in the IT world. There's yep. there's things where the, they just, the focus is slightly different. It's, it's it's not about bells and whistles. It's not about, um, you know, how can we grab someone when they walk into to a showroom or, or see an ad um, to get someone interested. There's, if you're buying one of these, you, you've got a specific purpose and you want to look at running costs, um, fuel economy, and really at the end of the day, are you going to create a, a health hazard or anything by having a driver sitting in there for, you know, um, 40 hours a week? And... Yep. Um, and, and, and so in that regard, the really, uh, I enjoyed it. The, it. It was missing two key things, though, um, in my driving experience, even though the, yeah, I found it really comfortable. The view was great. The mirrors worked really in a, in a, in a clever way to, to, to minimize the amount of black spots you have or blind spots you have. Um, but because it is a little bit higher, it's missing grab handles. Um, that even most, uh, oh. you know, the the Pathfinder Patrol, any type of serious four wheel drive will have grab handles to get in and out. And yeah. so, if you're a, a larger guy or a shorter person, you're gonna you're gonna be looking for things to grab onto to step up into it, and they're not gonna be there. And I know that you're probably not gonna be going. Like if you're a, if you're a career driver, you're gonna be going in and out of this thing all the time, and if anything that would make it 
make that transition from the driver's seat to the to the ground any easier i think would be a, a very clever thing to include and it just seems like a very odd thing to not have and yeah, the other thing sorry you just you consider that to be a pretty important thing like you're saying oh, you know by a, default an, yeah. an oh and thing for 40 40 hours a week in a in a van Anything like that to reduce the stress to the person who's actually in the van is it should be a big consideration. And human factors engineering, I know, is a very big business, and in, in in interior car design, that should be that should have been a priority. I would have thought. Yeah, and and that's that makes me wonder, sort of, well, what development team do they have? You know, does, or design team working on this? That it's one of those things of is it just something that slipped through because nobody ever thought about it you know they missed the obvious things um because yeah it it was it's the first thing that anybody that i had joined me in that car it was the first thing they noted that was missing to help them get in and out and there wasn't even a normal grab handle you know above you um above the window there's no handles at all and um yeah so that was that was a really weird omission um, something that I yeah just didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, and the other one was that the dash for a for a work vehicle wasn't awfully informative. It told me how fast I was going. I could get a whole heap of different stats of you know that, that is really handy of how much fuel I've consumed, um, average speed, all these things. Um, but I couldn't. It would always keep beeping at me, and I didn't know why. And it wasn't an aggressive beep. It was just like almost like a, hey, you've left the door slightly open, double check that all the doors are closed. But it would do it at random times. I I tested it if it was, you know, thinking that I was speeding um, or if, you know, one of the doors weren't closed properly or if someone didn't have a seatbelt on. I I couldn't work it out. And um, it would just do it. And it wouldn't give me a message on the dash. So I just, I I had no idea what was wrong. I kept on cycling through all the screens that I had to try and look for, and it would say no messages memorized, no nothing in the bank. And I was just, and and I had one passenger in, and it would just do it for a whole 20-minute journey. Every three minutes or so, it would just... No, there was nothing. It was two people, and seatbelts on, doors closed, windows up. I had no idea. It, it it had no complaints about um, the ad blue levels because it would turn on because it uses ad blue um, yeah. and it would say the level was fine with that. Um, fuel wasn't an issue, so I don't know. I it was just and I looked through the infotainment system and I couldn't work it out. Um, and I'd have some trips where it wouldn't do it at all, and it was Can just I tell one, you I found one in the. Um, I had one in the Outlander where it had come up with with a big yellow triangle and I couldn't figure out what it was. (laughs) It was if I had a destination set on the, um, on the GPS and I was on a route, then it gives you the directions in the center display in between the speedo and taco. Well, it wasn't Mm. a taco in the, Mm. in the plug-in hybrid, but, um, if you change that center display to anything except for the nav, to like view any of the other pages, it would give you a yeah. warning saying, hey, you're not on the nav page telling you which direction to go. Oh, Even yeah. though the nav page is still up on the center screen telling you what to yeah. do. It's just, <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah. Yeah. So I I looked through yep. the um, the books and everything. I couldn't find anything. So that's just one of those ones where I couldn't tell there was anything wrong, but um, 
But look, apart from that, I loved it. I loved that van. I didn't really want to hand it back. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I got my new so mattress, against so I was the, really happy. Against the Granvia? Yeah. Um, what, do you, what do you think? Maneuverability, I think, is the biggest Maneuverability of the Granvia definitely, um, I think, did a better job. That turning circle was great. Um, yep. But fuel economy, the traffic did a lot better. Um, I think it was around about the the eight and a eight eight and a half liters per one hundred. Now, granted, that's empty versus you know having six or eight seats and everything like that. Um, yeah. But fuel economy was a little bit better, uh, and yeah. So I and and it probably makes sense as to why I see. Um, and pricing is obviously one thing, but it probably starts to make more sense to why I see more of the Renault Traffics and Renault Masters than I do of the current generation High Ace. I, I find the High Ace, yeah. the new generation is, I don't, it used to see High Aces around all the time. Um, but now that, yeah, I think they really had that market cornered really, though, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. You never really used to see like traffics and that only sort of turned up in the last, what, seven years or so? Yeah. Yep. yep. Fairly recently, even the, well, I haven't even actually seen in many of the Ford vans. No, I, I've Ford only transits. seen a handful of the new generation, and that's only because their styling really jumps out jumps out at you compared to the older transits and everything like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's really, I, I find the um, a lot of the new entrants are the ones that are capturing a lot of that market and I'm sure pricing is certainly one part of it. But it's also, I think um, there was an article a little while ago about Mitsubishi wanting to come back into that to that van market as well. And, oh, the old um, L300. Yeah, because they used to, they used to, they, you know, to, for me anyway, I saw it was high S and Mitsubishi vans and I still see a lot of the old ones getting around. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's probably a call why the, um, yeah, why... Mitsubishi want to sort of come back into that market because they might see there's a bit of a bit of an appetite for it. Um, but I yeah, was, so it's... I was I was going to do a bit of a flashback then, like oh, I remember the old um, Holden Shuttle, but you're probably not that old, Ash. No, <laughs> no I, <didn't. laughs> I don't know. Joel, remember the old Holden Shuttle, wouldn't you, mate? I'm trying to ring a bell, whether I do or not. What was that based on? Uh, oh yes, I think it's yeah, a yeah. Suzu. Yeah, I think it's a Suzu product by the looks of it. Yeah, yeah, they just used to look cool with no, the white. No, no, unless it's an Econovan. wheels. No, it wasn't an Econovan. No, had an it's Econovan a Suzu well. Fargo. But, so, yeah, it is a Suzu. So, that's part of that relationship. Yeah, they're probably all rusted away now. That's why you don't remember any of them. Uh, but, no. Uh, <laughs> Even a Google image search will show you mostly uh, rusted <laughs> vans. <so. laughs> rusted out broken ones, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but what have you been up to, Joel? I, th- I hear it's again another loaded. Secret You've been squirrel. busy, but it's uh, full of NDAs. Yeah, look, I can't really talk about what I, I spent the day in the studio or part of the day in the studio shooting some shooting something cool, which um, I thought it might have come out by now, but it hasn't. So I can't really talk about that until the images kind of surface. But yeah, that was uh, that was a bit of fun. Um, it was nice to be back in the studio shooting a car and um, a little bit on the um, the fast side. We were, we were sort of under the, under the clock and trying to get stuff done. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was very cool with um, you know everything. 
uh, it arriving in a back of a truck and being unloaded and then throwing it on the turntable and stuff like that. So that was that was fun. Um, uh, I spent some time. It's a little bit off. It's not really off automotive, but it's still I don't know a little bit techy. But I'd spent uh, Friday um, in a virtual classroom doing my. Um, I'm a drone certified drone pilot, so I was doing my chief pilot oh, cool. recertification um, training. As rules change for us in October, in terms of our record keeping and other bits and pieces that are coming in, so I spent the day with um, my previous teacher and a bunch of other guys, re-looking at all the rules that are changing and and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, that was a it was a full on full on day on Friday, um, sort of nine till five uh, in the virtual mm-hmm. classroom, just learning all everything, taking copious amounts of notes and things like that. So, yeah, I got to the end of the day and was a bit fried at the end of the week. And um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been you know, obviously, with this whole lockdown process, it's giving us more time to do stuff. And I've been shooting a bit, a little bit a little bit here and there and doing some stuff for some clients. And um, I got to spend a little bit of time driving. Uh, I was helping another photographer out. It wasn't my stuff, but I got to spend a bit of time behind the wheel of the new um, X5M uh, competition and the X6M nice. competition. Ooh. So, um, yeah, boys, put them on your list to drive because um, they're pretty awesome. Um, a <laughs> lot of money, a lot of car for a money for a lot of money, but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. look, worth every cent. If I had the money, I'd be definitely going to look at probably buying one of those. I think my pick would be X6M. I think I'll really like the look of that. X5 would yeah. be nice if you if you had the kids uh, and you wanted a family car. There's a bit more room in the back, but the X6 still had yeah. plenty of plenty of space. But yeah, that was fun. And then um, yeah, obviously in the other bit of downtime that I've had, I've been rejigging the office at home and managed to uh, go through my archive of um, uh, images and, and go through my um, negative archive. So um, you know, some Ash, you probably wouldn't know what a, what, what, a, what a film camera was and stuff like that. <laughs> no, I've, I'll, uh, I'll admit I've been spent. I've spent the last uh, few weeks uh, with a professional scanner um, that I'm borrowing off a friend to to capture all of the family negatives, um, just for archiving reasons. So I've been playing with a lot of film negatives lately. So yeah, it's um, a, it's an interesting process. But it is to do. it's a funny thing. This you know you capture photos on a film and I don't know it's fangled stuff. Yeah, it's weird. Like I had conversations with a bunch of mates because all the stuff I've been scanning is from my time when I used to shoot um, the Australian Rally Championship prior to yeah. switching to digital. And uh, I had conversations with a couple of my buddies that I work with very closely on that, just, you know, remembering what it was like to shoot on film and, and to, you know, you, you would be limited. I mean, every shot cost you, you know, a couple of dollars to, to then obviously yeah. to pay for the film and then pay for the processing and, and that sort of stuff. But so it was been interesting yeah. to go back through it all and um i've done i've scanned almost every event there's another um i found some more eggs today that are being down to be scanned at the moment um but yeah i've got uh three or four years there that the first piece went online um during yeah i managed to get online uh over the weekend and went live yesterday so it's been really interesting sharing it in a couple of um rally groups and just seeing the feedback Mm. from people and people just reminiscing from from the stuff the first event i I scanned was 1999 so probably before you were born asher probably was around that that time no Um, i'm not not, i'll just say i was born in the 90s i'll just say that (laughs) but yeah so there's stuff from 99 so joel yeah professional photographer how many 
um, how many? Well, I'm not to say negs, but how many? How many photos have you got on film? Do you reckon? Oh, that, you, that you've kept on to. Well, I went through it because it's been a box. You know, it's again this this in the downside of what COVID has done to the economy and the job market and people's health and mental well-being, and it's been really really tough. But the one thing it has yep. given us, it's given us more time at home. It's given us time to 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 do those things we've been putting off. I know that here at home, I've accomplished so much in that time. Um, like I've mm. barely left the house in weeks, you know, except when I've been doing work. But it's been great to get back and go through stuff. And there's been a box sitting in my office that I haven't been able to get to for a long time. And in that box are rolls and rolls of film. So I've managed to pull some of it together. There's still some more I need to go through. I've actually run out of sleeves to store it all. But right. there's two A4 folders and they are chock-a-full with negative sleeves. Now, each roll of film in there is kind of 36 photos. So yeah. you imagine an A4, I, hate, I can't do the math off the top of my head, but I would have to say there'd be thousands of images in there that I've got that's in these two folders, plus there's at least another box of um, slides. So there's probably another couple of hundred um, <laughs> that was going to be my next question. <laughs> slides. My dad did a bit of photography, yeah. He's got heaps of slides. So if we come to your place when these travel restrictions lift, how long will your slide night be? Oh, so a... look, I haven't even <laughs> Have you even got slides. a proper projector for one? No, I don't think I've even got one, but everything's just digital, so we just use a digital projector. But, yeah, look, I yeah. shot slides. I, I worked in a camera store, which is the worst thing you can do when you've got a photography addiction. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, right. every, every part of your pay packet goes to paying off your account that you have in terms of stuff. Mm. But I learned yep. very early on that the, the guy who ran the lab at the store who processed all the slide film said, don't shoot negative, shoot slide. You know, there's so much more stuff you can do with the colours and that. So every mm. family holiday from when I was still kind of studying and getting into my first part of my career, I took slide film. So there's rolls and rolls of slide film from our travels as a family around Queensland and um, some stuff from the South Pacific and, and things like that, that, you know, I've got that I need to go through and rescan. But it's just amazing to think of the imagery in there and it's just, you know, beautiful sunrises and sunsets and, yeah. you know, stuff that you just literally don't even, you literally go and shoot it. You don't think about it. You don't look at it then. You have to wait till you get home. So it's weeks till you look at your pictures. And, yeah, yeah it's it's totally bizarre just to think to go back to that kind of era. And it's also talking about from a sports photographer, you know, uh, most of these events that I've done, uh, the one I'm scanning at the moment was my first ever rally. So it's two rolls of film. So two rolls of 36, that's yeah. all I shot. And then wow. there's others wow. where there's other roles where some of the bigger events that were where there was more work happening so I knew I needed to shoot more are probably maybe six to eight rolls of film. But now yeah. you, you'd shoot, you know, you, you, you just shoot with digital, you just shoot galore. You don't have to be thinking about what you're shooting. You, you, you're not worried about money because you don't pay for it. It's so much yeah. easier. So, yeah, it's bizarre to, to think about it and look at it. But, yeah, it's been good. There's... um. There's a whole lot of Target stuff um, that I've got to shoot from Target Tasmania that I've got to scan. Um, there's some supercar stuff or some V8 supercars or probably Australian Touring Car Championship because it's that old uh, in there that I need to scan. So I found some prints and some negs that are on the list of things to do. And, you know, the, Coca the back to when we first had a Coca-Cola Commodore, not a Coca-Cola Mustang, but a Coca-Cola Commodore of Gardeners. There's a shot there that I have print, have uh, got memories of and Simmons Plains in 
in the wet and and yeah so there's lots of memories in there in terms of what uh i've got to pull through so um i'm looking forward to to doing some of that but as restrictions are starting to lift and work's getting busy i don't know how much more of it i'll get through so yeah well that is that's a really good segue um actually joel because tomorrow june 1st we're recording this on the 31st of may but june 1 seems to be a really big um day for a lot of states where a lot of restrictions are, are lifting i know in queensland in particular that um our travel restrictions within the state are lifting so rather than currently it has been we can travel up to 150 kilometers from our home it was set to lift to uh, um 250 kilometers on the 12th of june but that's now been revised today um, to be in travel anywhere within the state. There are a couple of exclusions, but in general, we can basically travel anywhere um, as well as some other um, lifts in those, those restrictions. Um, so it's a, it's a good time for many, I think. Um, and I've already received a few invitations um, for for drives to celebrate that fact. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a good direction that we're traveling in at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, Good for road just, trips too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to it because I'm on the Sunshine Coast, so that just means I've got more visitors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not planning on going anywhere else. I'm just going to go yeah. back around the Sunshine yeah. Coast a couple yeah. more times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, have you accepted any invitations? You decided where you're going to go? Uh, not uh, yet. Um, so I've so I've got a. Um, currently in the tail end of planning the next edition for Villa Sheeta magazine and um, obviously that we're going to be um, exploring and, and sort of celebrating the return of the road trip um, yep. and rather than international travel so um, we'll be doing that with the Supra um, so we get that in a, in a couple of weeks so um, I think in the lead up to that I'll probably just be doing a little bit of planning on, on where to go and, and some places I'd love to, to showcase um, to do that but yep. Um, up yeah, it's way up through Nambour, the back of that area. There's um, there's a great road that goes over the back of the hills from, comes out in Nambour but goes back further south. There's a great hill hills through there to drive. That's super right, cool. okay. awesome. Mm, I yeah. pedaled, pedaled a um, so you got diesel, the choice there, diesel carnival yep. through those hills, and that was fun enough. So I can't imagine what super <laughs> would be like. Well, that's the way I ended up going with the... So what did I have a couple of weeks ago? The Toyota Camry. We went up to... Out to Kenilworth and then um, out through the back of Mullaney. Uh, which way did we come down? Oh, we ended up going through Woodford. Um, so there's a lot of roads. Like you, you can sort of yeah. wing your way through all of that area there. Even up... Like Mullaney is a really nice place to go just to, to visit in general. Plus, they go to cheese factories. So that's a bonus. Um, it's always a win. <laughs> it is. And actually, in the main street there, I, I wish I could remember the name of the shop off the top of my head. They've got a cheese shop there where they actually have to close off the corner of the shop where they keep the cheese and you've got to close the door because you walk in and it just smells like stinky cheese. Right. <laughs> full of all these different stinky cheeses. It's really good yeah, yeah, if you yeah. like stinky cheese, I guess. Um, I was actually talking to... Um, on Instagram, Socially Sorted um, is the account name. She's a, um, a friend of mine and they're working with the Sunshine Coast Council to come up with stickers for your Instagram stories yeah, about right. exactly okay. that, getting back on the road, road trip stickers and all that sort of thing. Mm. So I'm not sure if you search Mullaney or just road trip Sunshine Coast or oh, Hinterland. 
So it's essentially the same thing. They're trying to promote that area, but really yeah. anybody that knows about driving in that Sunshine Coast area knows the hinterland is the place to go. Because if you come down to the coast, I mean, I'm not going to um, say that you don't want to go to the, the coastal spaces because obviously the beaches and everything are really nice, but that's where everybody goes. And Up it is always packed. Well, traffic I've, is I've always, always terrible. I've always loved... Um, when I remember um, when Opal first arrived, we um, I knew a dealer down here who who had a a few vehicles, and they're really keen to sort of lend me one to to do a re- review on. And they gave me uh, the Astra wagon, and um, I was like, "Cool, it's a diesel." They said, "Look, there's plenty of fuel. Go for it." And I was like, "All right, cool." And so I picked it up on the the, the Friday afternoon, and was to to return it on the Monday. And um, in on the Sunday, we went all the way up, um, all the way up to the Sunshine Coast, all the way through, wound ourselves um, through those back parts. You know, the out we headed out west, um, and then we started to head back to Brisbane. And we're like, "Oh, I feel like dinner. What do you feel like?" And I was like, "Oh, let's head down to the coast." And um, and by the time I got back to the to hand the car back on on Monday, we had put on about nine hundred kilometers. And um, and I remember the guy, the salesperson, jumping in the car, and he's and he's like, "Oh, how'd you enjoy it?" Yeah, I was like, "Yeah, good, good. Yeah, it was really great, really comfortable. It was a good car." And um, perfect and car for that at, trip, actually. Yeah, oh, it was great. Um, plenty of talk in the mm. diesel, so and it obviously fuel economy was fantastic. Um, good car for it, and um, and then he had to double take at the odometer because of. Um, I think they the car, we got the car when it was at I think 150 k's and um, it was now over a thousand and um, and he said you you went how far and I said yeah well you gave me a full tank of fuel it had 900 k's in the in the fuel tank range and um, we we went and used it we used and. It. Um, <laughs> We gave them a really good write-up. Um, I think they actually ended up coming around, but at the first beginning, they weren't too happy. But it's one of those things where you, you can put on and see a lot of great places. And, and obviously, I'd, I'd probably do it over a couple of days now rather than doing it all in one day. But um, it's very easy to to travel not too far away here in you know southeast Queensland and to see a lot of good driving roads, um, great places, little bakeries, stores, food shops, all you know, pretty much everything yep. um, as you travel around. And I, I always say it to to people I'm with, and it's like oh, I just can't believe that we don't you know you, you can travel for one or two hours and you get to experience all of this, and you're still in Queensland. Um, you don't have to go to another state to do that, and yep. um, yeah, that's so. That's I'm, I'm super excited, and I'm 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 so glad that these restrictions are lifting to to be able to really go and do that, and um, obviously through the magazine, and obviously you know as as we talk about it to to highlight some some places as well um, who who obviously really need yeah. What about um, support? We're kind of rubbing it in though, Joel. Um, what's what's Victoria doing at the moment? Are you guys able to um, do discretionary travel, or is it just can, for work stuff? Yeah, Are you guys still buttoned we up. We can uh, we can overnight. We're not supposed to be travelling. Um, like our rules are at the moment are about to, everything sort of shifts as of tomorrow. It, the restrictions kind of ease um, mm-hmm. in terms of what we can do. Yep. We can do day trips at the moment, um, sort of you know, and, and overnight if 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 at 
you know, uh, if needed be. But um, they're they're just starting to to ease things in terms of what um, what you're able to do. They're saying you can't sort of still book holidays and stuff like that. But um, yeah, we are we are starting to ease. Well, and we've the problem is is that we keep having. <laughs> Break it. We've had another breakout this week of stuff, and they're just trying to um, trying to keep on top of it at the moment. But yeah, I yeah. mean, you, it's five reasons that you can leave home, and, and most of it is pretty much sort of work work related, or you know, mm. so that sort of stuff, and you know, work or caring for people and things like that. So, look, we're starting to see the, the restrictions will will ease. Um, you know, at the moment, from see from June. For us, um, we'll see gradual um, around sort of social events and ceremonies, fitness, sport, and that sort of stuff, mainly for cafes and restaurants. Yeah. But then yeah. they're saying the next step for us will probably be around June, around the 22nd of June. So I think mm-hmm. at the moment we'll probably start seeing um, you can stay in a holiday home or a private residence um, from tomorrow. Um You'll be able to stay in tourist accommodations, um, including caravan parks and camping grounds, but and tourist accommodation uh, are opening as well to guests, but as long as it's not shared facilities. So, look, we're starting to see that easing. Um, I think most people are kind of excited at the ability that you can get out and do day trips and stuff like that, but they're trying to um, trying to ease it so that you know people aren't all going to the one spot they had some issues where people were visiting a thousand steps is a sort of a walk area out in the Dandenongs and everyone just crowded it so they closed it because there was just no one with social right. distancing and stuff like mm-hmm. that so look we're we're in the same boat as New South Wales for certain degree we've got the highest um, you know of constant people the being, in the state in the yeah uh, it's still it's still country. look it's still being found um, I mean you guys in Queensland <laughs> have had a couple of spot things but you know your borders yeah still closed our borders mm. still open with new south wales so you know our two states are kind of you know, people can obviously move between them so that kind of you know it, it's a little bit in terms of not being as locked down as say our other two neighbors which is tasmania which is still stopping people from coming in and having to quarantine for 14 days and adelaide is the same or south australia so um yeah look i've seen a few friends talking about you know possible track days and drive days and stuff coming up probably once restrictions probably start easing in july in August so um, you know like Ash I'd like to get out and obviously do some do some stuff uh, once that kind of lifts and things like that um, mm. but yeah not as much as like you guys I mean it's great that, that they've got the ability to, to go anywhere in the state as of you know next week for you guys and you know if you're up in up in that way you got to drop in drop into good old Caboolture and visit the old Australia sign from World Expo do you remember that <laughs> Nick? Hey is that there? Yeah. Well, see, I wasn't in Queensland then, so it oh, wasn't yeah? really, okay. I wasn't up here for the for the bicycle. My brother came up on the train somehow. I don't know how he managed that. Um, but no, I haven't seen that. Where's that hide? So it's in Caboolture. He's saying Caboolture has a landmark. Yeah. So I, I don't even know how I found it. Some random time. Sorry, I, I found that more funny than it really probably is. Searching the internet, and I just happened <laughs> yeah. to find out that that's where it's ended up. So we were up there last year for a holiday, and took a wrong turn yeah. 
trying to get back to a different spot and ended up driving past it and I had it that's marked. a dangerous thing to do on Caboolture <laughs> and I drove past and said to my wife I said that's that that's it that's the Australia sign so is that the I, one that's missing Tasmania no it's it's the word Australia Ah, uh, okay. So it's from the Australia Pavilion at World Expo in 1988. Right, okay. So I lived yep. in Brisbane at that time, so I remember it well. So I stopped yeah. and took heap of photos and stuff like that. So that was a <laughs> that was a real blowout for me. I couldn't 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 believe that. So that's probably way before you were born. <laughs> I'm target now. I'm going to hunt <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth going to have. A look. And that look that at the moment that place is temporarily closed, but it's out the front, so you can stop and have a look, Mick. You don't have to worry ah, about cool. it being open to to go and check it out. But yeah, it's it's cool to see. Um, it's down at the radio, National Radio Association end of it, so it's mm-hmm. at the at the end of. That's an impressive building, that um, massive building they built for that. But yeah, it's pretty cool to go and check out. But that's just you know, there's these little things that you find that are uh, that are cool from history and things like that. So yeah, oh, that is yeah. cool. Cool. Well, speaking of uh, other cool things, I don't know, it's probably not so cool for some, um, but it's always fascinating to read anyway. Um, but The list of who is cool, yeah. Yeah, that's right, or at least reliably cool. Um, so Roy Morgan Research, uh, it's very hard to find on the website themselves, but thankfully Drive Tribe and a few others have posted the list uh, to read, um, but it's Australia's top 10 most trusted automotive brands and um, there's been a little bit of movement mm, between 11. 2019 and 2020 <laughs> oh sorry I know that every if you, if you look at the list everyone's included the 11th I don't know why How- um, and there's probably a couple of interesting entries um, on the 2021 anyway yeah, that- I'm just having to look now there's a there's one in there that's like, no, that's not a brand. You can't. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You cannot. Like, if you take that out, then someone can drop from 11 to 10. Yeah. That's why so, they're listed um, 11, is because they're sketchy results for one of them. So. <laughs> that's right. So we'll start well, at the top, I, I, I think. I don't know whether they're. <laughs> Sorry. I was going to say, we'll start at the top and work our way through. Um, so, number one probably doesn't surprise a lot of people, even though. Um, based of this, this looks like um, they, don't, they don't really describe how this this list is compiled. Yeah, what it actually um, so means. It, it seems like it's yeah. a survey of about 7,000 people. Um, so I guess it's probably a sense of perception of what is reliable, not what is on paper the most reliable because you could you could argue so number one is Toyota and I'm sure in many people's minds that they'll go if you need a reliable car Toyota is definitely the one to buy but if you look at recalls you could probably make an argument and it's probably and it's probably not entirely fair for Toyota for me to be saying this but Toyota hasn't been without any, recall, you know, serious or, or, or major recalls in the last 12 months. Um, and even, you know, yeah. the continuing diesel particulate filter issue is one that I think if you looked at it on paper at numbers versus sort of perception, maybe that, you know, maybe Toyota might not have that number one spot. But, you know, I think a lot of people would just well, go, yeah, Toyota is, yeah, you know, you would be seen as the most reliable. Ash, you got to look at that. You've got to say trusted brand, right? Okay, so they might have had some recalls, but wouldn't you prefer a brand to turn around and be trusted and say, hey, 
yes, we have a problem. We're going to recall our cars because we think it's an issue. So that's a trusted brand because you know that if there's an issue, they'll tell you about it and they'll fix it. it. They'll fix it. That's that's, that's true. They'll they'll put a hand up and go, hey, yeah, Yeah. no worries. We're at fault. We know that this could be an issue, but we'd rather you bring your car back. Even if the part's not a problem, we'll replace Mm -hmm. it so you Mm -hmm. know that your car is not a problem. That's that's a trusted brand. That's fair. Uh, You can say that. So Conversely, Volkswagen... They are nowhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're stated as the least trusted along with uh, Holden. So, I mean, how would you feel being, well, sorry, Holden, big fan of previous products, but <laughs> you're now in the toilet. How bad would it be for Volkswagen to be in the same sort of, mentioned in the same breath as a company who closed their local manufacturing and fired 6,000 people? Yeah, um, yeah. Meanwhile, Volkswagen are getting smashed for essentially... Um, you know, cheating perception to create, um, you know, diesel fuel economy figures that weren't accurate. That's yeah. that's essentially the the misstep that they've taken, and as a re- result of that, they're now getting kicked around the floor with somebody who's perceived as robbing the country. Um, well, there's, yeah. And there's none of their partner, partner brands in there either. So. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So yeah. the other list, uh, so number two is Mazda. So the top two between 2019 and 2020 have remained the same. Um, but jumping from number seven to number three this year is Tesla, um, which I guess is really, it is a good Doesn't sign for the brand. Doesn't that strike odd? It strikes me yeah. really Do you think it's odd, odd though? Because they've sold, what, maybe three, 4,000 cars total. How can they be a trusted brand already? And who's most again? This is probably coming back to that perception thing. Um, yeah. And the power of good marketing can help build that perception of it being trusted. And I th- if you talk to, if you ask anyone, even if they've never driven a Tesla, they have most will have a fairly positive thing to say about the brand versus other car brands <laughs> yeah. that they might, you know, sort of know about. Aren't, or aren't they like made that. by that guy who makes? spaceships and names his children after a 56k dial-up tone exactly like yeah so that's who this guy is but yeah yeah I, I just yeah that, that drives me nuts that tells her it's it, i don't know do you think it's a good thing that somebody has attained this level of trust like you look at the stuff in the u.s where teslas are much more prevalent yeah um and you know there was there was quite a number of issues with the with the uh, model s the new ones when they when they first come out and as they've manufactured they've got better and better but they still had some manufacturing issues mm. they've had some configuration issues but again these are one, like tesla is the automotive tall poppy at the moment and you mm. know how well they go in yeah. australia typically yeah. normally mm. tall poppy syndrome is a bad thing you know you stick your head yeah. up your head gets cut off yeah but tesla seemed to be going completely against that that trend entirely in the u.s and and that's and that's even with the recent um issue around uh the there's been a couple of instances i I believe it's a couple of instances because of the way that the articles have popped up um around used vehicles having features that were paid add-ons at the time of buying the car brand new and then revoked when that yeah. car was sold as a second-hand car. Now, I for me, like that. that would not build... If that was me, that would not be something that instills trust into the brand when if they determine that you don't deserve that feature, they're going to take it away from you and you can't do anything about it. Um, and there's also a lot of um, a lot of YouTube channels, and I know that's probably not the best source of news, just like a teacher would say, don't 
use Wikipedia as a source. How much people leave YouTube and how much people leave Twitter and everything else. But there is some truth (laughs) to to the basis of it where it is not easy to go and buy parts from Tesla for your vehicle if you damage something. Um, Unlike being able to go into a, to to any other motoring dealer to buy, Hey, I need a, you know, a new air filter. Yeah, no worries. It's this much. Um, That process is a lot harder. um, Particularly if you, if you have had a, a bingle or anything like that, and you just need to touch something up or need a new replacement bumper, it's not that straightforward and they don't make that easy. And maybe that's because we don't have uh, as large of a presence as we do in the US or as they do in the, in the US. Those t- kinds of issues aren't coming to the surface. You know, those yeah. those consumer so no stories one's had aren't that negative being shared. Exposure yet. Yeah. Um, but um, how do you even make that call? Like, how do you, what were they asking people? Are they asking owners? Are they asking general public? I mean, where's the data coming from? That's what you'd want to know is like you're saying yeah. that, you know, these are the most trusted brands. But based on what, you know, how do you make? That? Well, they say seven thousand respondents, and you go, "That's not really a lot of people." It's not a. Um, that's actually that's half of, of last year. Yeah. So last year was like fourteen thousand respondents. So even the response this this year isn't anywhere near as as broad. So you could argue it's in line with car sales. So uh, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's um, true. Harsh but, but fair. Look, it, yeah. yeah, it's not good for us, um, but. It's you know it's 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 a, re- a reflection I think of just a snapshot of um, the population that have responded and obviously there's going to be a little bit of bias to that as well if they're actively you know depending on how these respondents have been sought out. Um, yeah. But it that is kind of, that pretty much lines up with sales, though, doesn't it? Except for the tes- the two outliers are obviously Tesla, and we haven't named this little elephant in the room yet. But no, no, why yeah. they're in that list, <laughs> yeah. who yeah. knows? Um, but if you look at that, those sales, they're kind of the top ten. Except you're missing what Mitsubishi. Yeah, uh, Ford's still in there. I hold that out, but they're out now anyway, as far as mm. sales go. Yeah. And the other one, obviously, not in there. That's normally in the top ten is Volkswagen. But aside from yeah. that, the most trusted brands are the ones that are most purchased. So, and, and it it makes sense, you know, like the most trusted brand is the number one seller as well. Oh, um, actually, one I did notice is missing and dropped out from uh, last year. I believe they were um, what were they eighth or something Kia. Ninth the, Kia, yeah, the, yeah. So they were the, missing. yeah, because they Which were the highest. Which is really interesting because they have uh, a, that, they were the, the one of the first brands in a seven-year warranty. Yeah, yeah, because they were the, like, and they've been the ones that have really herald. You know, they brought in this new, a you know, new age of really long warranties. Um, I know that Mitsubishi mm. did a little bit of that on the drive chain and that kind of thing, but Kia were the ones who who've brought out a flat, you know, seven-year unlimited kilometre warranty and cap price servicing to match with that, um, you know, and then everybody else has kind of slowly followed the lead of that. And it's really interesting to see um, they have dropped off. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. so... I, mean, I don't want to put too much stock in a in a 7,000 respondent survey, but... Um, look, I, it's the only I, thing I, we I have. Be... We're going to grasp onto it and, and take it as gospel, okay? <laughs> it's, That's it's just the truth. how it works. Be quiet. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, like, so I do... I do think that, um, although Hyundai have been fairly quiet lately as well, but um, Kia, like when I mention Kia to people at the moment, they're still like, ugh, Kia. Yeah. But I'm like, dude, it's a stinger. (laughs) 
let's mm. go for a drive. All right, I've scared mm. the pants out of you. Has that changed your mind? Um, Kia Carnival, you know, I was talking about that the other day and people are like, were you driving a Carnival the other day? There's people at work. I'm like, yeah, 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 it's a pretty good van though. You know, it's been the best-selling van in its segment for the last five years. No one can touch it. That's mm. that's how good they are. They're like, oh, mm. really? But it's a Kia. People yeah. are still saying that, but the Kia's... You know, for me, I, I think for from the affordable um, end of the market, Kia are really offering probably the best choices out of out of most of the um, most of the brands. Yeah. But they still have that perception, and I guess you know I don't want to put too much weight in this in this particular survey, but you know maybe they need to do a bit more with communication about people's confidence in their cars. Maybe they need to um, shout from the rooftops a bit more about how they're the mm. only. Um, brand that's had continued growth since what was it? Are you saying June that the Australian Open isn't the best way to promote the brand it? in Australia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, they're um, who are they sponsoring now? They're sponsoring Broncos. That might not have been a good choice. That was a terrible game. No, that was unfortunate to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I had a few Particularly when there. I think the NRL's numbers of it's the biggest they've been in. I can't remember what the stats was, but it's one of the biggest ever um, for it. So it's probably not the best things to be that type of audience for the Broncos to be playing in front of. Um, but yeah, that's that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a really interesting that you do point out because you'd find that... Um, so we'll work through a little bit more quickly. So Honda at number four, um, which is really kind of a quirky one because we, they have made such a big difference with their dealer strategy um, yep. and, you know, what... How, you know they've drastically reduced their 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 footprint, but again, does that mean that people think that they're trustworthy, that they're a good brand, but they're just not as accessible anymore? Like I find that that's an interesting one. That's what it holds. Number five is at Mercedes, um, which doesn't really surprise me with how popular the brand is. Whether they rely, you know, that reliability or any other things, servicing costs come into that. Subaru at number six. Seven has Nissan, eight at Hyundai, um, nine at with Ford, and um, the most peculiar one because this must have been one of those ones where just get out. It's they, you know, they have like, oh, if if the brand doesn't appear on the list, you can add it in like the other box because number ten is Uber, and in case anybody's missed it, there are no Uber vehicles. In Australia, they they have a few. Um, what are they? Uh, they? I think Volvo's in the states. They've got a couple of self-driving ones, but they yeah, definitely yeah, they aren't Uber, yeah. an automotive brand in the traditional sense. They're they're more related to a transportation company, like um, you know. Uh, yellow taxi or one three cabs black and white yep. um, so basically are, this is a list of the 10 best burgers in the world and one yeah, slice. that's right yeah. it's like it's um, vaguely related but it's not yeah. a burger and, and it's really interesting because Uber has had their fair share of not only here in Australia but globally as well um, of of controversy um, oh, from passenger safety yep. driver payments all that thing and, and not to say that it hasn't actually um, made getting a ride, particularly at the beginning, and this is just a massive personal opinion for me, but 
you know, they were great at the beginning. They're they're great to use in the US, um, particularly in places that you're not familiar with. Um, but I would have thought the shine would have well and truly rubbed off of Uber as a as a company, particularly with coronavirus now. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's a really weird one. I don't know why people consider it as an automotive brand outside of a transportation company. Um, if it was the top ten list of taxi and courier companies, I'd and they were number one. That would make a lot more sense to me. Um, but yeah, it, I just don't get it. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Maybe so, so someone listening, if you can explain why Uber is in the automotive trusted brands list, uh, let me know. I, it's, I don't it's understand like it. you said, Ash, I think it's someone's added it in and then they've literally run it like that. And that's yeah. why there's 11 in the list because there's actually 11 brands, um, but only 10 automotive. Yeah, because, and then yeah, following up at, numbers, cars, but... at number 11, there's BMW. Um, so, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> Out of all of them, it's probably the thing putting, that confuses me the most. Well, putting that Uber in essentially pushes BMW down to 11. Yeah. And you're like, who does a top 11? So it's kind of yeah, like a, right. a bit of a golf clap for BMW. You made number 11, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. Where, where's your little, where's your little, um, your well done. Ta- um, yeah. Congrats. Uber yeah, beat little you. Well done don't award. even make cars. So. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> But I don't know if it's a compliment or between, an insult, you know, that's... <laughs> yeah. But still, but there's daylight between Mercedes-Benz and BMW too, and no Audi yeah. there at all. No. Which is, um, yeah, conspicuous in their absence. Um, I would have thought that the the um, the premium brands would all kind of follow each other around like they typically do with their products. Now, they all try and do exactly yeah. the same thing as yeah. each other. I thought yeah. they would have been in the yeah. same sort of sphere, but no. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to see the entire list and also to see um, the vote allocation because all we're seeing is just the list. And I'd love to see if Toyota, you know, what the gap between Toyota and Mazda was and, and, and the difference between Tesla and Mazda and that kind of thing to see, to also gain a little bit more perspective of was it a tightly contested top three or top two or whatever um, and how far behind was BMW in that 11th spot or was it yep. close because that also tells another story um, on top of just going well here's 10 well, things or 11 things that Toyota people Toyota might have got 6,800 votes and then Mazda exactly. got 50 <laughs> Tesla got yeah. two yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe <Can you laughs> try again? Yeah, even Siri didn't get that so there you go that makes um, <laughs> but yeah so that's that was interesting anyway it's always um, whenever things like this it's just like when the car sales um, like the VFAX come out it's always interesting to pick things apart and um, to look at you know try and get a bit more of an understanding of of what's um, you know what the market is thinking Um, so yeah, it's uh, because it's one thing, you know, from from this side of the, the press side, the journalist side, we get obviously um, usually on the surface level, very, very carefully presented press releases, car launches and everything like that, because it's all about they want to create a message and then we, you know, find a way to communicate that to the people that, you know, read 
our reviews and, and listen to the podcast. Um, yep. But what, how that translates to sales and perception is obviously a very different thing as well. Um, and, and it's always great to see that feedback of all what's working, what isn't working from a brand perspective, from a, from a, a, a motoring press perspective as well because um, most of the time, if you look at... Um, car of the year awards for, for magazines and everything very rarely do those awards line up with the sales figures um, usually there is I, I f- typically find no correlation at all um, to what is deemed the best by professionals to, to be the reality of the sales figures and I don't know yep. if that says something about the motoring you know the motoring journalists or the market itself or you know or what um, but yeah, to, to see these insights from, particularly from research firms, is always very interesting um, for everybody. And I'm sure the motoring brands are also, because they do a lot of surveys themselves. If you buy a car, you get your car service, you usually get two or three different surveys, one from the dealer, one from um, the the manufacturer, and then usually you get another follow-up on a little bit down, down the road. And so they're already capturing a lot of this data, but um, when it's done independently, even if there's only 7,000 respondents... Um, I'm sure they'll be also very interested in that data to see, well, what did they miss or did they kind of, you know, see this coming? Um, or, you know, like BMW, for example, looking at Mercedes and go, well, what are they doing different to us? Um, well, I reckon so, yeah. they'll probably be going, oh, what's Uber doing? We need to be doing what Uber's doing. Because <laughs> they <laughs> need to jump that one spot. <laughs> That's right. behind Uber. Let's do, let's do Uber yeah. things. You know, and does Toyota rest on their laurels? So you know, that's um, yeah. that's the interesting thing. But you know, um, one thing of to I guess trying to to resurrect um, some sort of hope is uh, the 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 negotiations between Holden and or Holden dealers and then Holden General Motors has been uh, not the not the most friendliest of um, of exits um but now that they've confirmed that the those peace talks have resumed following uh coronavirus selling down a little bit more um and so seemingly continuing with uh well at the moment it seems like the the compensation offer really hasn't changed the moment um as that but they have moved the uh the acceptance date to 30th of june to the end of the financial year um but yeah it's it's interesting they've made a statement too which is a big difference don't you think yeah so yeah previously they were very much holding the cards close to their chest but this time around they've actually said something and thank goodness they have um because it was it was looking quite um, I, I think personally, it was looking from a from a public uh, perception point of view. It was mm. looking quite ordinary. They weren't saying anything. They weren't um, trying to agree or trying to smooth anything over. They're just like, no, this is our offer. If you don't like it, you know, yep. um, jam it. But now they're saying, you know, we're moving. We're happy to have a, a mediator at the meeting. Um, we'll leave the offer on the table. We're not going to reduce the offer. Everyone has the opportunity, as you said. You know, they've got an extended timeline to accept it. Mm. Um, and But still... They've got that little statement in there about yes, we are going to mediation, but that doesn't mean we're going to give you, we're going to give you any more money, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> which is a nice a nice point to to add in there in their little um, we're all happy families statement. Mm. It doesn't mean we're going to do any more for you. No, but it it is good they've they they've taken a bit of a step there and trying to 
um, trying to make this thing smooth over or at least get resolved in the in the financial year at least. Mm. What, what do you reckon their chances are to actually get happy people on board? If they're not going to give any more money, yeah, no more money. What's so what? What are they going to do? Yeah. yeah, and and at the moment it's costing dealers more to drag this out, um, and if if there's no no sense of that it's going to change um i guess dealers are, are wanting to move on as well and and um i know that a few holding dealers near me have already got construction fences up um as they clear out the last of their holding stock um, yep. to start fitting in other brands so i guess at one on one side as well they they go they just want to it usually unfortunately you know this can be a tactic of of some you know negotiations to to really extend things out to the point where everybody just wants it to be done and accepts the you know accepts the deal that's on the table already um but yeah it's 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 always going to be one of those one of these things that i don't think um if if you uh, the the other deal you know the other exit that general motors did most recently was opal and that was seen as relatively very generous they were very um that was handled very very well and um and i think holden dealers were probably expecting something very similar because also don't forget some of these dealers that have Holden dealers also had Opal at that point. So they probably were part of that negotiation or had experience with what happened with that exit. Yeah, so and they're expecting had an something fairly similar. Yeah. yeah. And this seems like that wasn't as generous as the Opal deal was. And um, and I think that's probably why these negotiations have been a little bit more aired out into the open, a lot of frustration from both sides and, and a little bit blunt as well. There's, there was, for a period of time, particularly before this break, um, a lot of just... Um, kind of really weird things to see coming from a, a corporation as a pub, you know, as a press release statement. Um, like yeah. you don't, you, you expect press releases, particularly around ongoing issues, to be very. <sighs> You know, they don't, they just kind of like step around the key issue and just say, oh, yes, everything, we're still working out the issue and, you know, we hope to resolve it. Where this, it got to the point where they've been very, very blunt and, and, you know, kind of, it was a bit weird to see. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I I think it's probably going to end and I don't think Dill is going to be overly happy. Um, But I think the damage to the Holden brand has probably already been done from the public perspective um, that, even I, do I like see this you. little lifting of the scab. Um, <laughs> in the statement, GM Holden has also reiterated its position on claims that its 2020 closure was known by some in the firm as early as 2015. Yeah. Look, that's... The, I, I can't definitely say whether that was one way or another. Obviously, you know, we weren't there and didn't have a look into it. No. But there were people in 2015 saying close Holden. There were people saying close Holden in 1999. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If you want to find somebody who said that Holden's going to close by, uh, you know, in, in 2015, somebody saying Holden's going to close, yeah. you'll be able to find plenty of people. You'll be able to find plenty of people that think it's a good idea to do it. You'll also be able to find a whole bunch of people that say, in 2015, it definitely wasn't going to close and we're going to keep it going because there was people that believed that. Unless you can get yeah. like someone like Mary Barra or um, 
Or emails leak showing yeah, you know, an explicit you've got to have discussion. Specific. Yes, yeah. you know, good luck. That that really. Because let's let's not forget. Companies are always, you know, their their primary goal is to to turn a profit, and yep. so looking at different potential strategies, options are always yep. something which they explore, even if it's something they don't have a real intention of following through with. Um, yep. They You're always still do that thing the of possibility. Yeah. Yeah. What what's our position if we continue and make this? X amount of investment versus not doing anything at all or versus exiting completely. And I'm sure they would have done that frequently. And um, every time this discussion came up, those three different types of calculations would have been done. And when that exiting completely figure got close enough to the others that it made sense to really consider that's when the discussion would have changed from a what if to a okay we need to seriously consider this yeah yeah i I, and and that's just taking from a a purely rational perspective not an emotional one not a thing where you take in the brand equity like you know from a from an emotional state (laughs) really if if you if if you go back, like say so they they closed in twenty seventeen, you look at the sales immediately fell off a cliff. Yeah. So even if there were people, well, most at people thought that Holden was gone then. The yeah, well, the local manufacturing, they thought it was it. That was done. even if from a from a from a company perspective, they're like, yes, we're definitely going to keep Holden going. This is a, you know, one of those yeah. brands that everyone trusts. Let's ignore that um, survey um, of seven thousand people, <laughs> That's uh, right. which probably would have said the same thing, you know, two years yeah. previous. But you know, when they're in that meeting, like you're saying, you know, and they've got these alternatives that they're assessing in their boardroom, they would have been looking back at the figures and going, well, look at the sales for the Commodore. It sold 500 this month. It sold. 6,000 last, you know, two yeah. months prior. Oh, look, we're still selling 500 a month. Oh, look, we're selling 400 a month. We're selling 400 a month. Yeah. The, that's all it really would have needed to go from that point of a consideration to a likelihood. Yeah. You know, what's the chance would have got greater and greater as sales got worse and worse. So all the people mm. that weren't buying Commodores or Equinoxes or whatever, um, or the Astras, all those people who are saying, we'll show them we won't buy any cars. Well, of course, you're going to kill the brand because you're not selling things yeah. anymore. Yeah. Like you say, it's a business. They're not selling cars. Why would they hang around? Yeah. And everyone wanted to rebel against it. You know, it's like, well, you're not going to make cars anymore. You're going to bring them from from Germany. And people, the people that have bought them for most of their life decided they didn't want to buy them anymore. But it's funny. You talk to anyone that actually went and drove one and a good friend of mine went and bought yep. one and loves it, absolutely loves it. He bought a VXR yep. um, and absolutely loves it. And I spent a bit of time in a Calais V wagon and I loved it as well. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah I've, got a, I've got a review on YouTube for the Calais Tourer and I'll get a couple of people a month will turn up and like have a comment and going, oh, you know, asking a bit about what the highway noise was about or what the fuel economy was like and it's just people popping back on there now i think i've had three or four just on that one video saying oh yeah i picked up my tour the other day it's a fantastic car i've had people on instagram turn up like when i post pictures of zbs a guy come on the other day saying he bought a he bought just like the base model lt and put a throttle controller on it or something but 
long story short, you know, people that are buying these Commodores are actually loving them because they're really good cars. Yeah. There's a few things that they missed. From my perspective, there's a few things they missed, like the, the dodgy halogen headlights are very European, not Australian. You should have projectors like every other yeah. base yeah. model Commodore's had since 2014. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those products, like you say, you know, the protest vote, has has come to fruition now. Everyone's protested and the company's gone. Yeah. I don't know how you can hold them to account for making that business decision when everybody else has all voted with their feet and, and left the left the brand. Because mm-hmm. I, I think it would have been a totally different situation if the sales were a lot stronger. And even if uh, yeah. GM were crawling back from other right-hand drive markets. If Australia and New Zealand had a solid number of sales, I am absolutely positive the the brand would still be, it wouldn't be in the position it's in now where they're, you know, holding negotiations on the exit. Because the thing yeah. is that they, they did put the investment in and, and, and a lot of people will say that Holden, you know, General Motors gave up on them um, a long time ago. But if you look at the products that they did bring out and particularly the ones that did need the re-engineering to create factory right-hand drive models they put in a lot of like you have to give them credit they put a lot of you know research oh, dollars and engineering dollars are oh, you talking like, about general motors a lot or of holden both because to, to get that yeah. support from the factory over in the states and then to to tune those products here and to develop the local variant that takes a lot of money that takes a lot of time and yeah if if they had truly given up on that from both ends, we wouldn't have seen the Arcadia or even, you know, other Equinox and everything like that. But yeah, um, to get their approval through. to be able to continue with that, particularly like you say with the Equinox and the Arcadia, I mean, for GM to give that um, trust and, and let them do that, it was great for them to be able to do that. But it's just yeah. a shame that, you know, it, it just... It just didn't take off as much as what they needed it to for the brand to survive yep. because yeah. it is, yeah. you know, it's so tragic. I, I always felt all three of I those. always felt that all the Buick ads yep. in the oh. states yeah. were exactly the type of ads which Holden needed here because they had a very very similar lineup and they were going through a transition at a very similar time. It was uncanny, and they had pretty much the same vehicle lineup, and it was all about changing perception of I drive a Buick and people think that it was, you know, A, the convertible, but it was actually the Arcadia and all these sorts of things. It was a very clever ad to reintroduce the entire lineup and to say that we've got a product from everyone wanting, you know, the active lifestyle with a with a surfboard all the way through to, you know, the large family. We've got your product and it's unexpectedly good. And we never really saw anything like that here apart from when that transition was first starting. And they ran, I don't know if you remember running those ads of going, we've got 30 new cars coming in the next few years. Yeah. Um, and yep. that was when it kind of really stopped and then just went straight back to the to the sale offer ads. And they didn't really show off and highlight the range of products they had. Like even at some point, I didn't know what products were still in the product lineup and what had been sort of canned at the time. The Cascader is a really good example of that. At one point it was there, it was very much alive and then it just, you know, silently went away. Um, yeah, it and the VXR both exited at the same time. Yeah, and 
and and it was that where I think the strategy around the communication and I know that car brands really desperately um, always feel like they have to be selling, a, you know, or pr- communicating a sales offer when if you're not in that stage of being able to push a sales offer and you need to win and, and, and regain that, that trust, that, that recognition, that affiliation, um, you, you do have to sometimes not go the route of doing a sales offer and just do a bit of brand campaigning um, to, to just get p- people re- to, to allow them to re-familiarize with the brand that they know but has changed somewhat significantly um, you know, in the recent times. So, yeah, it's, it is sad. Um, and I'm sure there's always going to be a lot of what if scenarios, um, based on, you know, if the, if the Corvette arrived a little bit sooner, could that have been, um, a, either a, a transition to really go, well, do we retire and well, really, make I it think Chevy or, this, or what, you know? For me, the biggest what if was, the global financial crisis and the um, when that happened, so in the US, um, General Motors went broke. They had to borrow forty nine point five billion dollars from the from the US um, public. Yeah. Uh, they closed Pontiac, which was their export, which would have only probably been about fifty thousand a year. They yeah. were just about to introduce the the G8 ST, which is the the sport truck. Essentially, the whole Ute was going to be exported mm-hmm. to the US. They'd already had the the competition to name it, so someone had already won one because they came yeah. up with the name sport truck. I don't know why, because it was a stupid name. Um, <laughs> But but more importantly, um, I mean, we lost the export market from Australia to the Middle East, but also lost a controlling interest in General Motors Daewoo. So what happened in 2007, I think, uh, Holden bought 44% um, controlling interest of GM Daewoo. So they mm. were going to be in charge of the next generation Captiva and Cruise. Mm. But what ended up happening was the US took responsibility back from the um, controlling interest of GM Daewoo, sold some of the IP to uh, GMSAIC, so their joint, um, their joint venture in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was never the next generation cruise or Captiva um, to come to the Australian market. They just had the same generations, um, kept plodding along. So the Captiva went for, I think, 12 years on yeah. the same platform. And it, it sold like gangbusters. Like that and the cruise they dominated. Really... Cruise did well in the market very much. Yeah, so. yeah but... It, it did to start with, and then they just they let them die on the vine. And the issue with that was, you yeah. know, they didn't have that second generation coming through in the background. You think about how yeah. good. So I don't know if you guys drove the the Korean version of the cruise first, and then the Australian version. The difference between the two of those mm. was mm. stark. And again, the main thing the main thing was the the local tuning for suspension was so yeah. much better in the Australian version. Uh, mm. They went to the one point mm. six turbo. Which yeah. the US never got. Well, the one point four, the one point four also had a lot Japan. of issues. Hmm. So it was always going to be good when they had Aussie. Yeah, and yeah. that's why Kia and Hyundai and that spend so much time and money now developing this stuff for yeah. local market because it goes so yeah. far to help cars develop and drive here. Yeah, well, we spoke. Mick yeah, and I spoke right. about that a couple of weeks ago, where that that local tuning really. 
changes cars here. It it and it really shows if you drive back to back a similar segment car that has been locally tuned and and one that hasn't. It kind of shows, and it's surprising when you know what to look for. Mm. Yeah, it goes well, Could you line. imagine if that had happened? You know, they, they did talk about, too, that the plan was supposed to be, or what I heard allegedly was that Elizabeth was supposed to be building um, the Commodore as the current Commodore is, the ZB, and the Equinox, um, which is essentially the Captiva platform as well. So if they had been developing that stuff, so the Captiva and then the cruise in South Korea... Um, then that would have been a global product. The monies for that would have gone back into Holden to keep Holden running mm. at the same time. And that would mm. have been because, you know, General Motors ruined their chances in Europe by having the the crews introduced to Europe and driving like a South Korean car. That was that was never going to work. Yeah. Um, they, they blew a bazillion dollars by putting their Chevy badge on the front of, I think, Liverpool. They sponsored Liverpool with Chevrolet. I can't I remember. Think, yeah, but they it was one of the big Europe. European. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they blew a lot of money. They didn't manage it very well, and they all come back um, with a tail between their legs from Europe. They really got a um, a good touch up out of that. But I mean, if they had have left the controlling interest in Holden's hands, I believe anyway, based on how much better the Australian cruise was compared to the South Korean cruise, um, if they had have left Holden in charge for that GM Daewoo space, then they would have had some global platforms going out into the world and kicking ass like the Ford Ranger's done. You know, a locally developed product. Um, it's very popular in uh, like South America and Asia and all that sort of thing. It's been very mm. successful because Australians are very good engineers. You know, we're, um, we, we just go to that extra sort of level. It seems to me a lot of the American stuff I drive, they try and squeeze as much out of the product as possible. You know, try and save as much money with every little thing, a cheaper piece of switch gear, um, a cheaper piece of material here, which saves in production costs because the US market is cutthroat when it comes to price. Mm. You know, people buying new cars very cheaply, whereas we didn't really do that sort of thing. The Australian stuff was a, a higher quality level, a better performance level and a, and a better handling type car because that's what we needed for our markets. Mm. And that's more suited to the global market the americans are good at doing american stuff but they weren't very good at doing everything else so energy fc we lost controlling interests um the products went downhill and i, I really think that is the what if that made the big difference for general motors globally yeah uh, yeah, I think I went uh, on long enough a... about that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. No. They, they, they already did it. Like they went to the Middle East and they they took the Caprice out and sold the Impala, uh, mm. in the in the Middle East market, it mm. tanked. They went well, into Europe, well, even they the um, the... the Impala's front wheel drive, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, even the see guys, the, um, they hated the, the 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 police cars, the um the. Oh, yeah, the, they, the, the Caprice. Yeah, the yeah. um those vehicles. They when I was there in 2016, they were still getting around, and they were they were the previous generation, older generation. They are still kicking around, running against a lot a, a much younger police 
department fleet. Um, yep. And I think it was kind of one of those things that highlights that, um, you know, the, the Aussie product was surviving the test of time in probably one of the, the toughest policed markets. Um, yep. We see what's going on now and, and, and that and even, you know, this, the struggle which their fleet has been put under right now. Um, but the, the, their pro- the product survived really, really well in a really tough um, tough environment in which they operate in. So, And there's a heap yeah. of them in Hawaii. The Caprices are big in... Um, when I was in Hawaii in 2015, there was a heap of them cruising around not only Oahu but Maui as well. You know, yeah, I really, saw a really, couple in LA as well. Really popular. But it's interesting that GM... And it's pushing... weird to see when you go and I'm like, oh, hang on, what? Yeah. <laughs> Are you got either of you guys watched that new Space Force series on Netflix? Oh, I haven't yet. No. Keep an I've eye got out it for the, up. Keep it up an eye out for a cameo, the GM product placement cameo. Um, I watched it was watching it the other night and there's a bit of a, a product placement. It has to be the way that the car is shown in it. But it's obviously the new Malibu um, is shown mm. in it. And that's a really good looking car. Um, yeah. I remember when Did we you say had space? It, what is, what is it? Space Space, Space Force. Force. It's a Steve Carell series. Oh, I didn't know it was a series. I thought that was a movie. I was waiting for no, that to come a, out of the cinema. All right. No, no, it's a series. Ten episodes, but yeah, early on there's a color as a um uh, cameo of the new um, Chevrolet Malibu. Um, sure. And yeah, it's a good it's a good looking thing. But you know those that market I think is they've got such a big cross section of cars. Um, and obviously, GM have spent a bit of time putting, doing some product placement around the stuff, watching some old Modern mm. Family. They did a, a season where um, they were driving one of the Buick um, SUVs. And then the next season, um, Phil's driving a Cadillac XDS. So, you know, oh, GM yeah. are obviously big on, big on that. They also. Faves. Yep. And then obviously the other thing is is that the Chevrolet were big in Hawaii Five O, that T V series, all the Yeah, they were really that huge. Drove. Yeah. So it's interesting seeing that, you know, it would have been great to to see the Aussie product, you know, in going more into that. Um, mm-hmm. we do we do do see it in chips, the film that the guy the the you know, Contrarella uh, is actually the driving a yeah. driving a Monaro, but then it switches to an Impala when they burn it. So, um, <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't want any Monaro. There was one too. I saw. Oh, oh no, that might be the same one. Was that a it was Chevy SS? Wasn't it? Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's the SS, but obviously yeah, a Monaro, yeah. but they're SS. So, yeah, it's quite interesting. But, yeah, it, mm. it's sad that, that obviously that relationship never got off with Australia taking over that Asia region and building stuff here. But, you know, uh, it, look, it, you know, it, it's what could have been, you know, you'd always look at. But, yeah, it's um, we're a funny market here. I think that kind of moves into your next topic, Ash, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, so the... BMW have uh, just released the the refreshed five series and six series, and um, in case you didn't know, the six series is kind of existed in a in a way that it never really I don't think was ever intended to originally. So um, as a GT, so a, a saloon hatch kind of do, um, which was previously in, in in the prior generation a five series GT and a six series at that point was a coupe and a grand coupe and had an M6 and everything like that. And then then comes along the eight series and 
that kind of replaces the 6 Series, and so BMW wants to keep the 6 Series alive, and so they move the 5 Series GT to become the 6 Series... Could you try again? Siri jumping again. She doesn't understand either. Um, and, and, and so the 6 Series, six series GT then comes to Australia. And um, for the first half of the generation... I didn't even realize it was being sold. Um, I only found out that they were being sold because somebody came up to me and told me that they bought one and they got a really, really good deal on it. And um, that's where I had to thought to myself, well, I'm not really surprised why you got a really good deal because I don't think they're, they're selling at all. Um, and now with that refreshed, so there is an updated 6 Series GT as part of this lifecycle update, but the UK and Australian markets won't be seeing it. And um, I... I'm going to hazard a little bit of a guess that it's the lack of sales that kind of sold it um, to, to not refresh it for 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 us. Um, there's so much other yeah. good product in that range. I think it, I just don't think there's a massive market for it. I've seen a few um, five series GTs around and, and they're, I don't mind them. They're interesting. They're quite polarizing. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't like the design. I don't, I don't have to yeah. mind them. I think it's quite, quite good, but I mean, it's a hatch. So, you know, what's not to love? It's almost a weird wagon Mick isn't it sort of a little bit different well, no, the no, it's not. That's, that's my thing <laughs> no, so. they did they did try that though they did do the so they had the 5 GT and the and the 5 wagon both available in the market to mm. see which one would be the most popular I think the GT actually won out um, oh, they still really? sell the 5 Series wagon. now, yeah. but when oh, when they first started doing them, the mm. 5 GTs were more popular than the than the wagons. It's okay. gone the other way back now where you can get the 5 um, wagon. I've seen a few of those around. Quite rare, but yeah. um, I, I thought the same thing, um, Joel, when they first came out. I'm like, you know, I don't, don't really think too much of that. And then I sat in a 5 GT. It was so nice. Mm. Everything just felt it was in the right spot. I think it had white leather. I'm not a real like white no. leather type guy, but just sitting in it, everything felt nice. The doors closed nice. Everything was in the right spot. It was the right size. It was killing me to not hate that car anymore because I already had my preconceptions worked out before I'd even turned the key. <laughs> um, mm. But they were quite a nice product, and I know there's a lot of. Um, BMW aficionados who were all hung up on what BMW used to be and how they're no longer what they were. I mean, the reality probably is that they are still what they used to be, but they're also other things, um, which well, is markets, what GTs... Markets and, yeah. and customers change, and I think that's the key thing that with any consumer product, people kind of forget perspective of a little bit sometimes, where if they don't change and adapt, it means that that M4 or that M3 or any of those exciting performance cars can't be built if they don't adapt and introduce other... You know other products that that meet that new new emerging um, customer base. So that's I think that's and all companies do that and they all face that. Um, yeah, when that's they create that, consumer um, products. That that makes sense from an MBA perspective, but not from a not from a guy who um, is polishing <laughs> his E39 on the weekend perspective. You that's know what true. I mean? Yes. So yeah. it makes business sense, but it doesn't necessarily make logical sense. Um, yeah. But the thing is, if he's polishing yeah. the E39, he's probably not in the market to buy the up the new one anyway. Um, so uh, it's it's like you yeah, know we can compl- that. we can complain on? that um, you know Williams, for example. Uh, they're a shadow of their former selves and everybody goes, I wish that Williams could still be, you know, the 
the premier Formula One team. But the reality is, is that um, the nature of Formula One has changed drastically, and and um, they haven't been quite as capable at adapting to what Formula One is today versus what Formula One was, um, you know, a few decades ago. Mm. So it's it's yeah. I think it's you know it's as much as you know even I've still got my BMW F1 Williams shirt and to me that was a great time you know Ralph Schumacher um, you know that was a, an exciting time for the Formula One team for me as I was growing up but um, yeah it's it just changes and um, I think. All of the premium makers are all suffering from that. Ferrari as well. They're making an SUV as much as every Ferrari um, owner would tell you that they think it's an absolutely the worst idea ever. Um, yeah. They, as we mentioned before, the Porsche Cayenne, look at that. Yeah. Save, save the brand. Yeah. Yeah. And the Boxster before that, you know, everybody yep. said that that wasn't a real Porsche, even though it borrowed a lot of 911 parts. But how dare they go against what you know a traditional port, um, you know, a traditional Porsche at that point in time? But you look so, at a, a Boxster and a Cayman now, it's, they're 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 great cars. So, if we go back to the six series GT, yeah, do you reckon anyone's going to miss it? Uh, no. I'm, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I don't think so. Obviously, they've discovered that that market is not, and we know that Australian have has a love for SUVs. So I think that market will be swallowed up by, um, you know, the likes of yeah. X3, X4, like, X5, yeah. X6. I mean, there's so much in there. There's there's different um, different degrees of what the uh, range will do for you in terms of you want a coupe or, you know, a normal SUV and stuff like that. So I just don't think it'll, uh, I just don't think it'll happen. So mm, no. looking at this, even on this, so the profile shot, we're looking on that BM, bmwblog.com article. Mm. It's, it's a good looking car. I like it. Yeah, it is. It's but, a great looking car. I saw yeah. the release the other day. I prefer, like, the, oh, I I prefer the touring variant for me. Well, I prefer a wagon, well, yeah, if anything, but it's still, we can't, still can't only seventy-five percent yeah. of a wagon. That's right. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Let's no, it, look, dog, it doesn't look terrible. Chop a quarter off. Yeah. <laughs> look, chop that back bit off and create like a, a four-door Ute, like the um, was it the Crewman? Um, <laughs> oh yeah, that was awful. That. that thing. It was terrible. <laughs> it sold a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but look, on uh, moving forward to something a little bit more optimistic, we've spoken about it a little bit um, as rumours swelled, but one that I'm fairly confident we'll see come uh, down under, but it's a, it's a new Z car um, yeah. or Z car, depending on how you want to say it. Um, but uh, from, from Nissan, and, and this comes via a clip in a video um, of what they call like a it was a promotional video from Nissan um, I think they call it Nissan Next um, that sort of shows and highlights what models are coming you know things they're working on and there's like a silhouette that kind of looks like a 240Z and a mixture of a couple things um, and it's got the big 
big letter above it. Um, so it's more than, uh, I guess you could say, somewhat confirmed that they are working on something. Not sure exactly what it will be, and but I think, you know, we're speaking about previous range. rumors and things like that. Yeah. Um, but what what is interesting, and the Top Gear article kind of points out that um, it didn't hit, there was no hint of a, a next generation GT, GTR. Um, so it's kind of makes it interesting that they are sort of revitalizing the the you know the the pretty pretty old now 370z um with a successor but not yep. the not the gtr so maybe this could be a car that sort of has a bit of a cadence and trades time um with a gtr i don't know be be interesting because it's not like there's been they've been short of success on the gtr um since it's since it came out in the no, current it's... generation it's definitely done its job as a hero, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But, um, I'm, yeah. I didn't want to talk too early then, but I was just going to say, you know, like the as I've said before about the 370Z, that's its charms are the fact that you have to drive it, whereas the GTR yeah. is very much, uh, um, you know, it's a Godzilla of electronics. Mm. Certainly well capable, ridiculously fast, and also sounds awesome, but mm. you don't have to put that same um, analogue input into it as you do with the 370Z. Yeah. So I'm wondering if there is no GTR, will the new Z be like the GTR and Mm. be, you know, encapsulated in... Um, an electronic nannery, or is it re- is it going to be a, yeah. a return to form? I don't know. I'd, I'm I'm driving the Supra in a couple of weeks, which I've already mentioned. But yeah, I kind of feel like Nissan have have been looking at um, what Toyota have done in the space and, and and how that partnership has worked with BMW, and looking at where this new Z can kind of slot into seeing how you know how has that sold at its price point and and what are the things that the super has done you know to acknowledge its past but also to look forward and nissan can probably uh, they're not always going to look at what everybody else is doing and copy it but but just help you know use it as a guide to go well what is the market going do we want something that is a little bit more analog which is like what the 370z does really really well um or do we go a more futuristic, you know, forward-looking car. And I'm kind of looking at the silhouette and it kind of feels like I think they're leaning into that retro homage to what the Z is all about rather than, I think, going too far down the line of um, of tech. Um, yeah, well, it's still obviously... But we uh, could be completely wrong and it could be, you know... It's definitely a conventional and, motor because you know, it's got a massive big cooling vent at the front. Like the, yeah. you look at how bluff that nose is, that's sucking some yeah. air in the front there. Yeah, uh, It could be a turbine, you never know. Mm. <laughs> Probably <Yeah>. not. <laughs> Hydrogen powered, rocket yeah. fueled. Um. But I, I guess if you look though, if like you're saying, if we, if we talk about Supra, um, yeah not a raging success exactly in Australia like you say it's, it's kind of hard to come across at the moment I don't know if it's mm, a supply mm. issue I mean we've everyone's been locked up for the last couple of months anyway so That's for true. all I know there could be 5,000 of them sold and they're all just waiting to come out on the street mm-hmm. um, but I remember us talking about this a few weeks ago you know Toyota looked at what they did with the 86 where they had the sort of um, you know high 30s low 40s um, 
tuna market the the sort of accessible space and then yeah. with the super they really leapt you know 20 or 30 grand they've mm. they've left a lot of room there in my opinion for a for a new z to yeah. fit in that sort of 50 to 50 to 70 space yep. to still come up with something really good and still have their own unique selling point you know their mm. own little mm. their own little slice in the market you know i mean what are you what are you doing for a for a two-door in in the fifty thousand dollars space at the moment you got mustang i guess it's the yeah um obvious one to play with yeah um what else? Wow. Not well, a lot. Because then you've got no, the, the MX-5 at the, at the lower end um, below No, that, that. doesn't count because I don't fit in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally, I cannot shut the door because mm. my knee pokes out too far out the side. It's, that's mm. how small the MX-5 is. Yeah. But, yeah, still still granted MX-5, I guess, for, for regular humans. Yeah. Um, we haven't seen an updated BMW 2 Series Coupe yet. That probably, not the M2, but um, an M235 Coupe or, you know, a yeah, you're step still in between. Yeah, you 70s, though, really, aren't you, for, yeah. a, for, an, M, yeah. for an M in that, in that size? Yeah. But that's probably the closest that I'd probably in that, you know, that range of the 50 to 70-ish I really say ish um, yep. range. There's not really that many players in that space, but is it because there aren't buyers really there for it or is it because there isn't a really super compelling product to sustain it? Because we saw, you know, there's tons of Mustangs around and I know that sales yep. have slowed down a little bit um, and I know that dealers are holding on to a bit of stock even pre-coronavirus, but they're definitely still selling um, and still, you know, attracting a wide variety of buyers as well, not just a like a single demographic either. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know. It just it depends on how well I guess they really play into that nostalgia, the 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 playback, you know, the the you know, and if they get a, a well priced product that sort of ticks those couple of boxes that gets everyone excited again, because you know Nissan have a really strong history in this space. They've you know if you look at the particularly from the the late eighties all the way through to you know to now, they've, oh, they've usually Sylvia, had a pretty Sylvia. Yeah, like they've had a really, even through to 300 ZX, um, it's they've had a really good history throughout that. Um, so they definitely know what they're doing, and they and they have sold a lot in the past. So yeah, I, I remain optimistic. I, I think um, it's a, you know we've only got a silhouette of a thing to look at, um, but if I like what I'm seeing so far, um, yeah, yep. but I can't you know I can't wait to see you know when the when the veil is lifted a little bit more and we get a bit more of a tease to you know what some real world figures and design is going to look like i do hope if they go the turbos and the hybrid turbo or combinations and all that sort of stuff whatever they do they still do have a little window for a base model with a normally aspirated motor hmm. well that's that's what toyota has learned so in the u.s they've got a 2021 super model which has got the um they've upped the power in the six cylinder to to about i think it's about 285 kilowatts yep. um but they've also introduced a four cylinder model as well um so creating more of an entry-level vehicle and i think that's um going to open the door and if we see that here i I wonder how that pricing is going to work and maybe that is the target for for nissan to really go after um 
but it's also Toyota have taken the start like the stance of really going we're going to create a base product and they did this with the 86 as well and we expect that you know the aftermarket companies you know the tuning companies and performance parts are really going to you know we're going to give them a base that they can build a, build upon and, and, and yeah, do their, their own thing. party yeah, yeah. Um, and I wonder if Nissan will kind of go down that route or if they'll just basically or will they build the product and go this is our best attempt um, and not sort of leave you know leave it as sort of as, as much of a blank canvas um, as Toyota has done um, for their you know their sports cars so far yep yep uh, either way hurry up we're ready <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but in case uh, this is one, we'll, we'll step onto some international news real quick. Um, but look, if if power is something that you're just hungry for, um, a new Hennessy vehicle called the Exorcist, which I think is very, very accurate, um, is a Camaro Z01. Um, but with... This is a huge number. 746 kilowatts of power, um, which I think is enough to, to destroy any set of tires in any circumstance, no matter how carefully you, you take it from the lights, and um, particularly with uh, almost 1,200 newton meters of torque. Um, so, so, yeah, so why do they actually call it the Exorcist? Is that because it's got enough power to make your head spin? Or is that... Probably. A... <laughs> <laughs> well, that is huge, isn't it? 1,197 newton metres of torque. That is just yeah. crazy. From a massive supercharger. You need to mm. uh, share the video from Hennessy on it and listen to it. Like, that is just some sweet noise. That sound of that supercharger screaming is just heaven. That's just... oh. I could listen to that all day. And and to put it in perspective, the Z01 is no slouch at all. So that's 477 kilowatts, 880, you know, newton, newton meters of torque. So like that itself is a crazy vehicle because that's even more powerful than um, the GTS we got at 430 kilowatts. And we, you know, everyone was losing our minds. Politicians were getting upset at Holden and HSV for, you know, how could they responsibly release a vehicle like that? And this, yeah, it's, I like how casually say it's just got a larger supercharger, camshaft and cooling cores, and we've just beefed up the valve train. Um, yeah, but just, yeah. there's a little bit more than just that happening to, to get from 477 to 746. Um, yeah, so... I still wonder about cars like this, like the... Oh, hang on. The Exorcist will cover the quarter-mile dash in 9.5 seconds, which is crazy, in a top speed of 350 kilometres an hour. But I just... A Camaro at 350. Uh, I wonder how that development driver felt doing that speed in a car like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the stability is like at that sort of speed in a car like that, but um, it's a pretty bluff. You always put I wings on and just steady. take off. <laughs> yeah, I just... Yeah, nine, a nine-second car out of the shop is pretty pretty awesome. And if it was just, you know, if you convert it one for one, um, the purchase price would be 180000 So a nine-second car under 200000 that has a two-year warranty um, to cover all of that gear yeah, that's been bolted dollars. on. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, 39,000 kilometres, 24,000 miles. Oh, yeah, 24,000 miles, yeah. yeah. But look, if, you, if you're owning a car like that, you're probably not going to be, oh, I don't know, you might not be driving it every single day. So um, thirty, you know, 40,000K warranty probably get away with, but... Um, yeah, that'd be a fun wow. forty thousand kilometers. Uh, 40, <laughs> yeah, kilometers. very expensive. Luckily, fuel is cheap right now, um, but can't say that for <laughs> yeah. for tires. Unfortunately, um, you still have to factor that cost in. Um, but I in terms actually, of, a, I saw a uh, an LSA powered um, Senator signature in the parking lot at Bunnings with a box trailer mm. on the back today. <laughs> <laughs> that, could t- that could tow along quite nicely with that. I think it's the same. No, it's 400 and 478 kilowatts, I think they were. Yeah. The LSAs. At but the end, they were, yeah. That's crazy, um, towing something with your senator, though. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a bit nasty. Uh, it's it's like the automatic really comes driver. in handy. Yeah, Imagine but it was nice and pretty and clean, but it, it just had like a... I think the box trailer was made in like 1978. Yeah. <laughs> just a pair of dodgy old sunraisers on the back of it. Um, bit of a, a rough end for the Senator, but that's what they were built for, I guess. Yeah, Australian cars, funny. they just do everything, so... Yeah. But uh, it seems like, you know, and it's probably in line with... Uh, with the with the US and their love to just to hit max on everything. Even Audi yeah. are doing a um a, a US only special edition. They're calling it the RS3 Nardo edition. And um this is funny because it took a long time for a lot of RS cars to make their way to the US and now obviously the popularity of them is just meaning, you know, Audi is going, Oh look, we can do a lot, you know, we've got a big Quite market we can open. sell to. Yeah, and um, so this special edition is faster than the normal RS3 because um, the speed limiter is removed off the normal um, because the electronic limiter has been upped to 174 miles per hour or 280 kilometers per hour. And um, even in the US, you don't really get a many, you don't get many um, chances to to drive that fast. I know that the highway speeds are higher than ours, but not that fast. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a. It, I think it also shows that just how good that two and a half liter five cylinder engine is. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a. Yeah, they've got a pretty good rap, haven't they? The A three or absolutely the A three sedan. The last generation was so popular. I've seen so many of them around. Tons around. And it's the yeah. first time I've seen like the the sedans. Well, it's really kind of the first sedan, but this once the sedan came out, the hatches seemed to just vanish. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, it, it, it yeah. Like sort of changed over. Yeah, mm. um, kind of a bit um, going the opposite way to this. But did you also see that Volvo are going to reduce the maximum speed of all their cars? Mm. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's so kind of a, Europe, a burning European thing anyway. Haven't always Mercedes and BMs always been limited to 180? Oh, I didn't think so. I thought two fifty k's now, which is I think is one hundred and fifty five or two hundred fifty five miles per hour. So it was it was over two hundred, but still, yeah. Okay. But I thought yeah, because it was part of like a a gentleman's agreement um, to limit the speed of the cars um, on the Nurburgring. Oh, not on the Nurburgring, on the um, Autobahn. Uh, and then but... Brabus just come and laughed at everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's made everything. We're yeah. making our maximum speed not more than 385 kilometers an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and and it's even hard to get that limit 
um, removed from if you have a like an M3. Um, I was very lucky um, to to meet an owner who had a de-restricted M3 CSL, um, and because uh, he had taken it across to a lot of tracks over in Europe, and then moved out over to Australia, and um, brought the car with him. And um, so I can tell you that there's some good roads out at the back of Toowoomba that um, most definitely <laughs> did indeed. not experience um, some yep. good speed. In that they make car. some. They make some. They make a nice bark to the the CSL. Although oh, I'm sure just, he probably would have had his own exhaust. No, so exhaust the exhaust and the um, intake box were all completely stock. But saying that, the carbon fiber intake is big enough you can fit your head into it. Oh. Um, <laughs> And the exhaust, like you hear, you, you don't hear exhaust from that thing. You hear a little bit of a rattle from it, um, yeah. but it's all about that induction noise. And it's probably the best thing about that era of vehicle because no other M car after it. And I know that the M boss has come out and said he hates this comparison of older M cars, but there's just nothing like having great induction noise versus exhaust because um, mm. it's just so raw and so powerful, you know, of a feeling um, when you're, you know, when you're in that, uh, back in those, those, those days for the SMG gearboxes, you had five official different gear change levels. But if you put the car into like an M mode and there's a special M button on the CSL wheel, and what yep. that does is it unlocks a special six gear mode um, and it's the most ferocious and the fastest gear changing setting. And it felt like you'd been punched in the gut every single time you're changing gears. Um, and it was the best thing ever. Pair that with the, the intake <laughs> noise. And my God, I, yeah, it, it, it will still remain the most enjoyable driving experience I've ever had. Um, yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> you could just save yourself $100,000 and drive around in a barina and get someone to punch you in the stomach when you're changing gears. It'll be exactly the same. Was that like a... Yeah, but, but then it's... But then when you have it on the... On, you know, parked in the driveway... Um, yeah, not quite You know, it's not quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good-looking... Uh, so what was that, the E40? E46, yeah. Yeah. That was probably the best looking out of the uh, out of the 46 the CSL it was just I don't know mm-hmm. well I mean, it, it just had, had um, it didn't have any fog lights it had the the single um, intake duct on the left hand yep. side it had it was the first car um, from BMW to have the carbon fiber roof it also introduced like the ducktail kind of um, uh, boot lid which pretty yep. much everybody who owned an E46 M3 went out and bought had one afterwards um, yeah and well, not even the M3. Yeah, <laughs> everybody, the everybody who had one could could do it. But um, unfortunately, yeah. the sad story of that is that being in a bit of a derail at the moment. But I'll tell the story anyway. Um, so BMW VIN locked all the spare parts for the CSL, so you had to have a. Uh, it was meant to be that you could only buy spare parts for the CSL if you owned one and you could give yep. them your VIN. But obviously, with the age of the internet, you, it's not very hard to find a VIN. Hell, if you have the the Rego lookup. At here yep. in Queensland, you just punch away. in a rego and you get the whole entire VIN, not even a censored VIN, an entire VIN, which um, which is a bit always found a bit weird. But you could take that to your to your BMW dealer, your parts 
dealer and um with that they'll order you the part and um and i know of a few people here in queensland who are actually the last ones to buy a genuine csl boot lead front uh front uh spoiler and everything like wow. that and they and they didn't own uh, a genuine CSL. And all I could think of is that that would be the most annoying thing if you own a genuine CSL, there's only 1,100 of them, and you get involved in some sort of accident. Um, you know, somebody hits you from the back and you need a new boot lid or anything like that. Yeah, I just the only I option is to go via the third party. You have to buy a non-genuine because the, the spare parts just don't exist at BMW. Um, yeah. And I always yeah, was right. like, oh, man, that really, really sucks. Well, I just went on to the uh, Queensland Check My Rego app and I put in the registration number M3CSL. Yeah. So WBSBL 96070JC 98242. Go buy yourself a spoiler. You're all good. Yeah. We've got it covered. But yeah. that's how easy it is, you know. In, just a, yeah. in the time it took to take conversation, you can already bypass that stuff. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because you, you didn't even have to turn up to the deal and go, look, there's my CSL right at the front. Here's my proof of ownership Yeah. Um, to do it. And look, some people go, well, <laughs> it shouldn't you, be restricted. Sorry. Or... sorry to derail again, but when yeah. I had my 1993 um, VP Calais, when I first bought it and I replaced the battery, I had to get the security code for the, um, for the, the radio. radio. <laughs> and I and I had it parked in the in the car park, and I went and saw the guy at the service desk, mm. and he goes, "Oh, I can't give you this service code because, um, you know, you have to prove that you're the owner of the vehicle." And I'm like, "Dude, who's going to steal a cassette tape player out of a 1993 VP Calais <laughs> purposefully and want to be able to override yeah. the security code, please?" And he goes, "Yeah, good point." I went, "It's over there anyway. You can look out the window and you can get it." Yeah. But <laughs> for real. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, so that's, um, yeah, it's uh, completely went off away from the RS3 Nardo, um, which, yeah, it's 0 to 100 and 4.1 officially, but it's probably going to be a bit faster than that. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be one of those cool ones. I like this. And, it um, comes with standard RS fixed sports suspension. Hmm. <laughs> In other words, you can't you can't have a soft version. You got to no. <laughs> well, if you're going to have an RS, you got to have the sports. Yeah. Rather than the adaptive crew, uh, adaptive suspension button, it's just got a, a sticker saying "just deal with it." <laughs> yeah, um, too bad. <laughs> yeah. But look, if you, if you do want you comfort, and this is a really good segue. The box opens, there's a box of tissues. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> um, speaking of comfort, if uh, if you could have spare half a million pounds lying around um, and you want to do some really hardcore uh, off-roading camping as restrictions lift, you could... Five, yeah, 500,000 pounds will buy you an off-road ready Ford F550. So not F150, not F250, but an F550 um, with what they call a high-tech house attachment. So not a Money camper well attachment, but a house attachment. And um, The size of it, though, it's crazy. Oh, it looks insane. Um and amazingly, you'd probably get away with just using a car license over in the states, but uh, over here you'd you'd feel a bit irresponsible so unless you went and got an MR <laughs> license. It would actually be that. perfect because if you've been over to Fraser Island, haven't you, Ash? Yeah. I have as well. Finally, you've been yeah. So finally, perfect. something you could actually compete against the tourists. 
buses with because those guys are maniacs <laughs> finally they'd see something and go no you go first because this thing is incredibly long and high and it, possibly it faster like than the bus i hope out of like um you, you'd see out of jurassic park you know like those big uh big mobile um what do you call it labs yeah, and everything like that out of like jurassic park 3 or something that's what it sort of or two I can't or whatever believe how long it is there like look at it does it have what what does it say the stats are for the length it's it's phenomenal uh, it's got wheels on it like a humvee yeah so okay so here's a couple of things so it's got um this is all in us um yep. so it's a it's got an for one, it's got a 95-gallon um, tank for diesel. <laughs> um, so times that by four, that's a lot. Um, you've got a 100-gallon water tank, 11-kilowatt-hour lithium-ion battery pack. Um, uh, where's some more? Oh, they've really emitted on this. They call it the Earth Roma um, is the company that's designed it. Um so it's got a proper sized shower. Um, the V8 produces 330 horsepower. Um, yeah, that's kind of flimsy, really, isn't it? But I, I'm imagining the torque would be something phenomenal. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, Top Gear have not done a good job at all. Um, Stats wise, yeah. No. Oh, that's ridiculous. What is that? And it really shows that I really should have done more research with this one. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll just uh, we'll you just saw just the bright shiny lights. The photos the bright, were cool. Lights, I'll just you? admit with that. <laughs> the fact um, that it's um, uh, the fact that it's called the Earth Roma kind of gives it away just how cool it is. Yeah. Yep. Like you've Wouldn't got a own. couch. Like it, it looks like a, a, a this like a fifth wheel caravan or horse float that you see being irresponsibly towed by people, but it's on the back <laughs> of an F truck. This is picked um, it up and put it in the tray. Yeah, that's right. So looking at it, it's got a full size bed, double bed or queen bed. Um, and so if you look at that, that's what's a, just over two meters in length. So yeah. it looks like you could fit two and a half of those in the high, in, entire rear section. Okay, so um, here's some here's some specs for Ash. All right, 20, cool. 20, I'm guessing it's because it's American. It's going to be feet. It's 29 feet in length, so it's almost 30 foot long. It's eight foot wide, 12 foot high. Minimum height is 11 and a half feet. Yes, it's 8.8 meters long. Yeah. <laughs> Approach angle of 30 degrees. The departure angle of 22. Uh, ground clearance of 12 and a half feet. Um. Yeah. Huh? Inches. Inches. Oh yeah, it is. Sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah. I was going to say I could I could live yeah, under that, that with, extra with ashes on my shoulders. That extra exclamation mark uh, got me on that one. Seats up to six. Um, does holds forty gallons of grey water, so you can go for a while without having to stop. Yeah. It's it's just nuts, and there's different. There is one, two, three. There's five different versions of the fit out of it, so you can have it sleep, sleep four, sleep three, seat three. Mm. You know, and they're, yeah, there's, there's and they're all got names. The Telluride, the Boulder, the Breckenridge, the Aspen, and the Craystone are the five mm. different um, layouts of the interior, depending on how you want it fitted out. And it must wow. weigh. A huge amount because even just in the That'd water alone of fresh water, it's 454 liters of water. So that's almost Strangely half a enough, ton no of water weight. alone. 
on the specs, there's no... No, it doesn't have white. So, Mick, you know how at the moment on the on the gateway as you head north, um, you've got a couple of bits where trucks over a certain weight can't be oh, yeah, you've got to go particular to lanes. Lane. You'd yep. have to be in the centre lane in this thing because you would. I'm you pretty would. confident Just... it's going to be creeping over that weight limit for some of these roads. It'd be six or seven ton, I reckon, for this thing. Yeah, it's mighty impressive. I love it. And it's and not on the even bonnet? the biggest one they make. No. That's no, called the one we're looking at. It's the LTI. They actually make an HD, which is bigger again. Oh, good. Because <laughs> I thought, I was thinking this was looking a bit flimsy. Uh, and the HD yeah. <laughs> is bigger again. And that weight that actually has weight on it. That one has is 37,000 pounds. And it's 35 foot in length. Jeez. That's 16 tonne. Wow. Yeah. 16.7. With a 20,000 watt hour battery back, 2,100 watts of solar power, 125 gallon of gallon capacity of black water, 250 gallon of fresh water, and 115 gallons of diesel. Wow. So, so imagine how <laughs> how angry would you kilometers. be? <laughs> how upset would you be if you rocked up in the LTI at the camping ground? Yeah, and you think you're the big dog, <laughs> Some and then the somebody HD. rocks up with the HD because <laughs> the HD is based on the F750 and it's a four-wheel drive, four drive chassis. Wow, I don't even know there was a 750. Like I remember seeing the 650s, yeah. which are like they're they're basically almost a prime mover. Yeah, pretty much. Like yeah, a, um, big the axle. Uh, sorry, double rear axles. What do you guys think? While well, we're talking about trucks, hmm. the Ram ads. Are, I don't know. They're really rubbing me up the wrong way. That they're they're purely a vanity hit on a potential customer about, oh, you've got a Hilux, well, look at my Ram, it's a bigger truck. Yeah. That really, that just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know. Is that... I think I think part of it is highlighting a, a, probably a big issue that um, I, I don't think authorities are really taking seriously enough, which is appropriate towing limits and understanding what the towing limit of your vehicle is. Um, a lot of people don't realise that most, you know, pick up uh, dual cab Utes only have a two and a half or three and a half ton towing capacity. And as soon as you get over anything of a fairly modest sized caravan, you're exceeding that. And that doesn't take into account passengers, equipment, or anything like yeah. that. Um, and qu- quite quickly, you actually get up and over that. And typically, I think that's probably the, the thing they're going for is saying, well, you know, you could get a fifth wheeler in a, in a Ram and, and tow six ton in the upper models, no issues, um, you know, for horse floats or anything like that. So I think maybe it's not the most elegant way they could probably be going about it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, but what, I can what kind of see the angle that? they're going for. Yeah. Why can't they just like show one towing a bigger horse float? Or a bigger boat, you know, like Jeep had that great, very successful one. Oh, we're going to need a bigger boat. boat. Yeah. Why can't they do something, you know, I've got a bigger horse float, you know, something that shows a practical advantage rather than, oh, haha, my truck's bigger than yours. I I think it's probably down to the marketing marketing dollars um, available. I think that Ram 
has really been a, a major like fr- like even we've seen Fiat Chrysler in general um, here in Australia have really stepped back in the amount of dollars they're spending in marketing to what they have in the past, yep. and I think that's probably showing in you know as as much as we think that a you know a good idea can be cheap, the execution or even finding that from an agency can come at a significant cost, and if you don't have you know the money available to do that, you kind of just go with the idea that kind of makes sense and you roll with it um so it could be i'm not saying that is the thing um but i have a feeling it is probably down to the amount of dollars are allowed to spend to to create the ad and to sell it versus you know um focusing their effort in other areas um but you know their sales figures are are trending upwards even through this time um so yeah it's uh, it's good to see regardless but I can sort of see where you're coming from though mm. hopefully it just yep. leads to people tying more sensibly with uh, appropriate vehicles because that is I'm a sure major safety issue <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is um, a or it just of... means that people think that they can uh, take a carry a bigger caravan a little bit of breaking news, gents, that I've just stumbled across. Mm-hmm. Um, our friends from Rich Energy have tweeted out the picture of uh, the proposed Rich Energy Williams racing car at Williams Racing what? HQ. <laughs> A great oh team that with the right management and investment can get back on the podium in F1. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but wait, so they were talking about the right management with Rich Energy? Is that... Sorry, I didn't think the two. I don't know. Like, I don't know how that works, it. but yeah. So just wow, stumble across is. that. Yeah. So that's um, I mean that's come from Rich Energy, so we take that with a yeah. massive grain of salt and see whether actually anything actually comes of it. But yeah, it's um interesting. Didn't they say thing. that they were um they left Haas because they weren't winning? Yeah. Yeah. And they've gone with the with the tail. With the other one at the other end of the field. Yeah, that's right. Wow. But maybe, you know, being involved even in the in the Haas debacle, you know, sort of that saga, you could say, because it really called it a debacle for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it um yep. it created like a lot of people now know what rich energy is versus, you know, a yeah, it's a fake energy drink. <laughs> but, That's oh, so that I know, I know that you got to got to leave, uh, Joel. But I will just say Actually, so. No, I've just just double checked to make sure we were on, but half an hour's time, so we we're uh, gonna okay. Be cool. I don't want to hold you back from uh, from catching the the stream of the of the race. So, uh, and um, but yeah, so in Newstead, probably a, before coronavirus went down, probably early um, early February. Um, I was heading into an appointment there and I drove past this van parked on the side of the road and I had to do a double take because it looked familiar and I couldn't quite understand why. And then it finally clicked. Rich energy. It was a rich energy vehicle. Wow. And, um, And so by the time I had gone down, waited at the traffic lights and then chucked a Yui to go back to take a photo it was gone and I was like I can't be losing my mind that has to be it and um, and I've seen it one more time but not in a time like you're driving haven't been able to take a photo of it but 
I just want to speak to the guy going, are you actually distributing rich energy or did you just do it as a joke? Because I didn't think this thing like existed outside of a handful of like random things over in the UK. Um, so yeah, bizarre. And it was just like, it was so weird to see one here in Brisbane of all places for what is, you know, all, you know, by, by basically all accounts, it's not a real product um, or somewhat yep. of a company. But yeah, it was just like, oh man, what a weird thing to see. And it was just like, it, it had a little bit of recognition. And um, by the time it clicked, it just, it was too late, unfortunately. Um, that or it didn't exist and I, you know, I just imagined it. <laughs> but well, yeah, it was a, like there's the a uh, Rich Energy Australasia Facebook page. Right. Which I'm okay. looking at right now. Mm, very interesting. Yeah, so they're looking for salespeople in Melbourne. Obviously, oh, really? Off topic <laughs> wow. here, but um, they're posting pictures of a um, of a touring car with Rich Energy sponsorship. Uh, yeah, I wonder if they'd end up turning in the turning up in the Australian um, touring cars with the with the hatches. You want your yeah. full season paid for in advance, that's for sure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, actually, I, I've just found that page and I do love as well that the email that's listed is a Gmail account. Is it? <laughs> yeah. So, and a mobile number as a contact. So, um, Puzz, interesting. Puzz Bernard. That's good. <laughs> it screams legit. Um, <laughs> But it does link and it does, like everything else would say they've got a corporate presence, but yeah, it's, uh, wow. It what is builds into the bizarre that thing? That's a focus. Yeah. Uh, is it, oh, it was only recently upgraded too, like uploaded. Yeah, they're all May, all May things. It looks a bit like the cars that the guys from Place were building in Queensland. Yeah. Wow, bizarre, absolutely bizarre. But hey, that's a, that's one of those ones which is, you know, Williams in, in itself, and I think we could probably chat about it just really briefly because um, it sort of leads into the Formula E bit as well. But um, what's been happening with Williams has been really fascinating. So the Rocket sponsorship has um, the Williams terminated it um, before the season even got off to an official start so it's not for um for 2021 or anything it is actually um immediately so the the rocket car that we saw during testing is going to look very different um come the first race in july if that still goes ahead um but obviously now williams has got a little bit of uncertainty because they losing a title sponsor means a loss of a lot of money too um of and, and i think at the moment they're exploring whether you know, to to sell off them the team or or sort of exploring all sorts of options they have available to them um and well, obviously rich the rich energy problem yeah, yeah well, <laughs> look it, it certainly um It'd be good to watch in the Drive to Survive series uh, for 2020. Yeah. Um, Because it's not bizarre enough or anything. It's not like we need anything more. Um, (laughs) But, hey, you know, (laughs) who doesn't love a a drama-packed Drive to Survive? Oh, season Um, three of Drive to Survive is just going to be Daniel Ricciardo doing challenges on his Instagram stories. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Like the one during the week of him whipping through on the side-by-side. 
<laughs> oh, I didn't see that one. No. Oh, I'll go have a look. Some some yeah. mad driving in the um in the forest somewhere. I think he's I think he's hiding so out in WA or something. Yeah. yeah, like, but um, just impressive. Hey, um, back to Williams. Yes, George Russell. Getting yeah. eyed off by Mercedes, perhaps staying with Williams. What do what do we think? Uh, Obviously, smart, he'll jump at the chance of the leave. Yeah, but um, everyone's talking. Well, everyone's talking. Um, one of the rumours going around is that um, Mercedes perhaps are going to be headed by two four-time, well, five-time in Williams in um, Lewis's case, uh, world yeah. champions. So Vettel and Lewis in the same team. Well, Vettel is full-time, I think. Isn't uh, Hamilton six-time now? Six-time, yeah. Yeah. So, 10 world championships. Um, and I think ex- with exception for Kimi, um, all of the driver championships Would plus Kimi. Mercedes, yeah. 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 Uh, well, who knows? If Kimi retires this season, which I don't know, I, I, I see him doing it as long as, you know, Ferrari and Alpha are willing to give him a seat, basically. I think he'll yep. continue. Um, but if he retires, I think all of the World tri- Driver Championships would be in one team if, if Vettel goes to Mercedes, um, which kind of says something for, I think, the current generation of, of Formula One um, more than anything else. Because even if you look at previous um i think formula one their socials have been really really good in 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 showing like dominant errors of decades and um the number of races won by world champions in previous decades were much much less like you weren't dominating the entire season you'd have a handful of wins and a ton of podiums yeah um but wins you know you didn't have to win every single race to ensure a championship it was a lot more tightly contested and everything like that where and and we had a little bit more variance of um of driver champions but now you know we've had two driver champions three if you count you know throw in nico rosberg into the last decade which is kind of really really bizarre yeah i think like the last time that it was kind of close where there was more than one real challenger was really um, with Weber and Alonso um, or they both ended up choking at the end of the season I think it was 2011 2010 yeah I think so yeah I can't remember but that was so close but it was like literally down to the last like two rounds where it was really close and and anyone could have got it and it was obviously Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mark Weber's best chance um yeah. And ended up falling down to, if I remember rightly, it was a, um, a pitting decision. They pitted at the wrong time when I thought they should yeah. have kept going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was the end of it. But, you know, we haven't had anything like that. No. Really. Which, look, we've been having getting Vettel and Hamilton in the same team could bring back that, like kind of what we saw with Nico and Lewis um, in 2016, where that was really hotly contested between the two drivers. That came yep. down to the last round. I just um, don't think that they would allow it. I just don't think no, Lewis would allow I, someone of Vettel's yeah. character to, to sign up with, or to join yeah. the team and yep. for the both to be there. He, he needs that junior driver below him, I think, otherwise. As, as much as I'd love to see Vettel 
at Mercedes for the sake of like my own you know, entertainment factor, entertainment. I think that would be quite good. Well, but know, I think the logic, the logical choice, I think, would be to to promote George Russell. He he's done his time. Yeah. He's been he's proven himself to be extremely reliable, and um, even in that performance of a car, he has done an excellent. Like I think it for a couple of seasons, he the number of retirements like regardless of the performance of the car he brought the car home and finished the race every single time um, yep. and remained consistent regardless of you know the other stuff he did what he had to do with the car he got um, he's done his time other people you know Alexander Albon Verstappen Leclerc have all been able to step up to the to, to the top tier team um and I think yeah it makes sense he gets long like you know him and his relationship with Mercedes is quite positive we've seen that in the drive to survive and in interviews where him and Toto Wolf get along really really chummy as well um yeah so yeah and with that I think that's a logical choice and for Bottas to go to to something like Renault um yeah it's but at the same time, I'd love to see some fresh drivers come through as well. Because um, the question is, like, as fun as it is to see, you know, to shuffle drivers between cars and different teams, um, it, it kind of creates a little bit of a predictable, like, you can already start to think, well, um, McLaren have been on the up and up. If we add Ricardo into that, he's, you know, he should roughly be about this spot um, or even better if, you know, if they have a good season. Um but if you throw in a couple of unknown factors, it can really change things up a lot um, yep. outside of just going, well, if we put this driver here and, and that driver there, it will change it. But I go like, well, that's a bit boring. That's not really that exciting because as much as um, Bottas is a fast driver, does it, he just really fills a spot in Renault and he doesn't really, he doesn't really bring anything new. Um, to the race in general by being in that seat, if you know what I mean. Yeah, he'll just keep Renault where they are, yeah. essentially. Yep. That's kind of the I mean, sense I feel. And, it, yeah. it might be interesting, though, because, you know, like the having... No, actually, I tend to agree, because having Ricardo in Renault, we've seen a, a lot of um, efforts where he's really tried to throw it um, into a late-breaking phase and try to do some really... Um, some very brave overtakes but as we've discussed before the Renault just couldn't hack it couldn't do it and I think Bottas is good enough to outdrive the Renault as well yeah or conversely the Renault wasn't good enough to sit underneath Bottas hmm yeah. And, and the hardest thing is that when, when we haven't had a chance, we've, we've got to this point in the season, and some articles have discussed this, where what's really strange is that a lot of drivers and teams are making decisions on the 2021 season without seeing any performance from the season at all, um, from the current yep. season. And so all of these decisions are being made on the fact of the 2019 season and the direction in which they're going in early testing. Um you know, so, and that's really weird because McLaren could have dropped the ball completely and be nowhere this season, and Ricardo is stuck with kind of like the same situation he's in now. And Renault could have um, done a massive amount of development in the off season and be starring. You know, exactly. Um, where normally at this point in the season would have a pretty good idea, um, and the unknown 
or it could have thrown in a lot of, um, or we could have seen a lot of drivers stay where they are because of the changing regulations, um, which would have mean a totally fresh car, which means that anybody, you know, we might not see a dominant Mercedes because they don't know how to get the most out of the new, the new regulations where a team like McLaren or even a team like Renault could very well, you know, excel under that like Mercedes did um, under the turbo era. So unfortunately we're just going off pure speculation. I know that when you're, you know, when you're working in the industry and, and drivers and, and team managers and engineers, everybody talks and it's a very small community. So they all have a pretty good idea of kind of what's going on in, in general um, and particularly more than what's been, you know, let to be known in the public. But yeah. it's kind of a really weird situation where we just don't know um, where anybody's at, even Williams for for their sake, they could have actually been onto a, a you know a decent package that could have you know been competitive with the midfield. We don't know, and um, and we probably you know if driver changes all happen, we'll probably never see any of the development efforts really come into fruition this season because Renault is not going to put development effort into you know, into Ricardo because, well, why would they? They're going to lose him next season. Um, so they're going to start be, yep. you know, building cars with other people in mind before they even get there. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 all weird. It's going to make it either a really spectacular season in 2020 and 2021 or it's going to be a bit of a bust and Hamilton wins his seventh championship. Vettel kind of drops into third or fourth. Leclerc wins a few races and Bottas, you know, wins the Open race and that's kind of it <laughs> like that's um <laughs> i reckon you've called it that's 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 the f1 season done <laughs> which is well, um, which is ironically exactly like 29 no 2018 was exactly the yeah. same 2019 what year are we in yeah 2020 was basically exactly how you said it yeah, yeah. that's right <laughs> but yeah it's um and i look just because also just recently Formula One just announced that they're changing regulations again. So in terms of you know the amount of time uh, you get to have or how many sessions you get to have in a wind testing tunnel um, based on your position in the championship. Now, that's going to be one of those things which is going to... It might benefit some teams, it might not because running time in a, in a wind tunnel is very expensive and if you're a lower down team you don't have the same funds to throw around like if you're Williams you might not be able to take advantage of all those sessions anyway because of the cost um, so it, it's, it also will remain to be seen if uh, any of these tweaks to the regulations even for 2020 or even um, for 2021 are really going to benefit um, those lower down teams or, or what so yeah, it's a, again, it's a, it's another week of speculation because we're dying for the start of the race, and at the moment it's July. I think it's the first week of July. Austria could be um, the first race on the calendar, so let's just have our fingers crossed because that's also a really great track uh, for some good racing. So and it's back to back races. A, I think that's what's yeah. going to be really interesting. This whole back to back races at the same track, I think, it's going to be really interesting to watch because teams will have the ability to go. Well, hang on, that didn't work. Why don't we try this? And we could have two totally different rounds. Um, 
yeah. that even you know, having the, the direct comparison week to week will be exactly interesting. you know yeah. oh, well, maybe we'll try this setup or whatever and and they're going to be stuck there as well so you know i don't know what they'll limit they obviously won't allow them on the track but the ability to do multiple track walks and stuff like that you know yeah um it would well, be... i wonder if it's going to um give an advantage to european teams because imagine the bigger teams being able to create a new part overnight um following the first you've got to you've then got to get it back to it i mean that's the thing is like sure i mean i don't know what the border situation is going to be like once they get to that that's true but the plan is i think from what i'm reading in the last sort of stuff during the last in the last week is that they're they're effectively all going to be locked in to the to Mm. the track i think that the Mm -hmm. whole idea is that they're going to be it's going to be self-sufficient in terms of catering and all that sort of stuff, and everyone will be based at the track. Um, yeah. There is an airport nearby, so there is talk that people might might fly in and out. But yeah, I think I think we're going to see some. Like I think the first race at that track will be great to watch, but I think the second one will be. I mean, I hope that it, it is, and that we really get a. All of a sudden, we get teams that were you know have suddenly turned up the week and found that an extra bit of performance because they had an extra week to look at it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm excited. I mean, it's great to have it. We're going to have it back, but the fact that we're going to have back-to-back events, I think, is really, really exciting. It'd be great if they did reverse grid on that second race, just to really <laughs> throw a spanner. <laughs> no, everyone's too serious for that. That would be very we, expensive. We see, we see it. It's great when drivers, you know, Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton has to cop a. You know, they usually have like a week where they cop all the penalties at once, and it's always great to see the top teams having to fight it through and make them get themselves up to the front. That's where we see the exciting passes. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter how the cars are designed. We see good drivers and good cars taking on the other ones. Well, you, see, and it, you see some of the yeah. best races are ones yeah. where, like, Verstappen's come from pit lane, you know, having yep. to start in pit lane for a new engine. Yeah. And then, you know, finishing third or fourth or whatever. It's not a win, but what an yeah. amazing drive. You know, that's, that's yep. always entertaining. Yeah. And it will give the opportunity for those smaller teams to really focus on their strategy and yeah. you know about maintaining track position because with some we know with some like Monaco is a really easy example of if you get pole position you're in the control and seat it's win. your win to lose yeah. um, and we saw it with Ricardo get the strategy wrong get the communication wrong and you lose the race and so when track position really matters for some of these circuits around oh yeah on the calendar um, having reverse grid for a second you know for a back to back race can really just allow these people that might not get the opportunity to shine when you're starting at the back of the grid um, to really, you know, show off these teams that have the ability to, to do good race strategy versus just, well, we just got to maintain our spot and hopefully we get a place or two um, because we can't compete otherwise. Um so yeah, I, I, I'm I'm somewhat hopeful that you know we get a really you know spanner in the works kind of season. Um, but other part of me is going, ah, oh, it could be also um, pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, no, it's going to be amazing. Chin up, let's be positive. <laughs> Because I'm really, I'm really hanging out. Honestly, E Series is fun, but it's just fun. It's not real racing. No. Well, the cars are already locked in. the The 
this there's there's a lot of parity and there's some good you know there's some good advantages in that um but yeah i don't know the real thing there's there's so many more va- there's so many more variables which i think um racing you know for real has um yeah but at the same time, I hope uh, the e-racing continues. Um, I've certainly, it's encouraged me to do a lot more, um, you know, pick up the, you know, jump back into a set of Corsa and, and, and things like that. And even um, what we saw Daniel Apt, uh, an Audi Formula E driver. So in, in one of the, the latest races, he has actually lost his racing seat because um, he hired a pro sim racer to drive for him. Um, oh, and uh, used, used some strategies. So he, he set the microphone in front of the guy. So he had a camera on the driver because you get the driver perspective. Um, but what they had a conveniently placed microphone over the top and... Um, and then for the post-race interview, his he had apparently had connection issues, and so he couldn't display his face to do the post-race interview because he finished on the podium. And um, but after some, you know, some dropping of hints from uh, from other races, including Stoffel Van Dorn, um, the FIA, FIA looked into um, the IP addresses which were reported from um, the sim and also some of those interviews, and they said that there was yep. a discrepancy, and um, so. Got disqualified, and then obviously Audi have then come in and said that doesn't sort of meet the um, idea of integrity, <laughs> which the racing team and, and the brand wants to convey. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately um, for him, just to, that decision just to assist the to, medium of that is the podcast. I'm yeah. physically shaking my head at the moment. Yeah, just so you know, because <laughs> it's just ridiculous. What a goose. Yeah, but it's costing him time. You know, he's been handed a sixteen and a half thousand dollar fine, stripped of all his points, and he's lost his main driving role with Audi. Like yeah. Audi have said, yeah, they've suspended him, and he'll probably lose. Pretty sure they're part of ways with him fully. Um, it's not. It's not worth cheating. Even something as simple as you know, basically, some people say that the you know the e racing doesn't count, but it's a form of sport, and it's called, it's cheating. So, uh, well done on Audi on handing it down and kicking him out because yeah. you don't deserve people you don't want people like that working in your in your team no. Yeah, Particularly right. when Formula E is still establishing itself as a as a racing series and um, gaining, um, you know, the the race itself, um, well, the physical race itself is very much driven by fan involvement, um, and I think it's a cool and slightly different way to to, to go about racing. Um, having these sorts of issues don't really help um, building, you know, that doesn't help build the brand for Formula E um, yeah. or the teams involved either. Yeah, it's essentially but, yeah. a remote control car, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> he's allegedly um, in the driver's seat, and somebody else is just doing all the all the work for him. Mm, yeah. mm. No, so it's um, but yeah, look, I uh, can't wait to see what the next week. Uh, we know that everyone's uh, all of the news is changing rapidly uh, from unexpected car launches or car drop-offs, like we saw with the six series. Um, another week, uh, I can't wait to see what we have, and hopefully, we see a little bit more uh, on the Formula One side. Maybe some more silly season to keep things interesting until the first race. Um, but what are you what are you driving uh, next, Mick? For, for this I'm in, into four-wheel drive mode next week. Uh, okay. Oh, tomorrow actually. I swap into the Pajero Sport. Oh, uh, nice. Which which spec? Yeah. Um, the white one. 
No. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure yet. I'll just have a look when I get it. But the idea is it's going to be going off-road, so... Yeah, cool. You're going to go your own way. It won't need to be too shiny. I think that's No, that's that's Isuzu. Oh, right. I'm sorry, I'm looking forward to hearing about that, Mick, because that's on my um, potential shopping list. On your list? Yeah. Yeah, well, I I did drive the... um, I drove the Isuzu um, MUX through a certain trail. Let's just assume that the gate fell over. It's not a... (laughs) <laughs> trail, <laughs> um, but I'll be taking it along that same sort of same sort of area. Um, the funny thing, actually, up on the sunny coast here, they've closed some of the trails that people used to use all the time. Right. Um, but um, yeah, some of the gates fall open, so <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a crack and see how it goes. I did drive the um, uh, a few four wheel drives through there now, so it's my test track. Um, but yeah, I'll be interested. I know a, a friend of mine's actually bought one, um, and they like it. But they bought it purely to drive the to tow a caravan, not to do actual four yeah. driving. Yeah. So I've driven the previous gen and spent a, yep. spent a couple of days with the previous generation. Was very impressed, um, but I'm really keen to hear what the new gen is like because there's a big change and it's come a long way in terms of what what it's done in terms of the upgrades and whatever else. Yeah, cool. I'm mm. looking forward to it. What about you guys? What's next? Um, well, I'm. Uh, I picked up on Friday the uh, Renault Colios Intense, um, so I've been driving that. Uh, I until love that Friday. car. It's come. It's such a, the, the current gen update has done so much for it with the all yeah. the infotainment system and the full screen mm. for CarPlay and all that. It's um, yeah, it's very cool. So, and it's and it's interesting how, with its vertical display. Um, so even in, in with CarPlay, it's vertical, which I find I don't know. It kind of looks nice. Um, oh, some looks bits great. don't. So practical. Some some parts of maps don't uh, like the the go screen and everything else you put in your address uh, look a bit funky. But overall, um, it kind of just makes sense in the vertical orientation for a car. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's it's been so far so so good. Um, it's got your favorite type of transmission. Um, Mick, it's got a CVT automatic. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, so yep. I've got, and basically the only option I've got is the metallic paint. So it's got the, mm, I, I don't know how they call it, but it's like a really dark red, really dark metallic red. Um, so that's, you know, for 46 grand sort of as a recommended retail, it, it's not too bad for the size it is and what you get in it. Um, it's not not too bad. It is, yeah, it only has 126 kilowatts of power and 226 newton meters yeah. of torque. So it's kind of on the low um, end of that, but it's... I like it. I'm liking it so far. We moved um, one of the old TVs because uh, we're going to take that to to the tip today, and it fit fine. You fold the seats down, and, and no problem. Um, with it, plenty of room. Sound system is good. It's got a Bose um, sound system, so it's uh, yeah. Good we jinx. want to pump the That's tunes. The same it's as good. the Pathfinder. Yeah. Have you got a so CD player? That's the that's the real differentiator in the in the luxury world. No, <gasps> outrageous. No, it's uh, we've moved on from that. Uh, I found that yeah, Nissans, living in the most future. of the Nissans have them, and they're I I really yes. like. Yes, yes, but look at you don't uh, that, and that's what I think comes back to what we're talking about. They're about a generation behind for most of the cars at the moment. Um, 
So I think that's probably why you've still got the CD player at the that's moment. Not fair. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the truth. <laughs> that's all right. I am that previous generation, so that's fine. Yes, yes. Well, <laughs> welcome to the future when you finally catch up. Um, <laughs> when I finally get Spotify. How about, you? Yeah. How about you, Joel? Um, Are you all top secret next week? Nothing for me behind the wheel. I'm hopefully got um, something cool. I'm going to go hopefully go and shoot this week, but um, I'm waiting for confirmation from the client before um, that happens. But yeah, if that is, I'm uh, excited for what the week will bring. Uh, that's hopefully middle of the week. But I'm still trying to get stuck in to get this iCarf done as as restrictions and start start lifting. I um, I'd like to get that set of stuff. Um, I'm working on a couple of projects based around. And uh, drone stuff at the moment, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I'm sort of just been busy in the office, and um, the inbox is starting to be flooded by requests for some work. So yeah, I'm um, working on that. But um, well, yeah, good. I'd uh, mm. I'm, I'm keen to get back behind the wheel and uh, do some driving of some uh, some mm. press cars. So um, I'll be trying to hopefully schedule some stuff over the next couple of weeks. There's a couple of things I really want to get behind the wheel and try out. So. Well, fingers crossed, because I'm pretty sure you must be getting crazy yeah. <laughs> not being able to <laughs> get on the right. road. Yeah, it's yeah. been it's been it's been weird. I think the longest drive I did was was a work trip that I did uh, down the peninsula to do some stuff with a client. Um, not long after lockdown started, but that was the last uh, kind of long trip that I that I've done. But um, I've had some issues with my personal vehicle, so it's been back and forth to a repairer to get a water leak fixed. So um, hopefully that'll come back this week because um, yeah, uh, it's been weird not having a not having a car for but I've yeah, done man. a lot of driving. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'm keen to. I, like Ash, I want to get out and do a couple of stories. I think about um, you know you, you ultimate sort of road trip stuff and things like that. Mm. So I'm mm. in some conversations at the moment about that, and hopefully that'll all come to fruition in uh, in the not too distant future. But I'm been interesting listening to what you guys are driving, and um, yeah, it's good to get. Uh, I'm keen to hear what you think about the the Padge and uh, and a bit more of what uh, Ash thinks about the Colios. What are you into after the Colios, Ash? Uh, good question. Um, it's been a bit of a blur. Let me have a look. Um, so, Colios and then the X-Trail N-Trek. Oh, nice. Okay. So, jump back into that one. Um, yeah, that'll be cool. Well, that'll be interesting so it's because kind of... they're, they're effectively the same platform from memory. Yeah. 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 So, I think they share the same motor. So, that's 126. So, it's a 2.5 litre, 126, 2.26 yeah, it kind of does okay. I think the the CVTs really work for those yeah. engines better. I mean, they're not. Yeah, it's not the greatest combination, but they no. they seem to do their it job is, really well. Yeah, and it is down a little bit. Like if you look at the Mazda six, so this is in the competitor spec comparison, which Renault send, and um, the Mazda CX five and the Volkswagen. Tiguan are the two competitors I highlight. And in terms of power, though, like the the CX-5 has got 140 kilowatts and 252 newton meters of torque, and the the Volkswagen has 162 and 350. Um, Like, that's kind of a big step up, though, in in a similar-sized car, which... What's the CX-5? What mode is that? Uh, so that's a two-litre um, four-cylinder. They get 140 kilowatts out of their two-litre. Yeah. Wow. Was it just straight two-litre or is it a two-point something? 
Nah, it's just a straight two liters. Same with the Volkswagen, both two liters. The two difference liters, is that the um the CX five is naturally aspirated versus the yeah. um, Volkswagen's turbo. Mm, it must rev pretty hard. Yeah, but lower fuel consumption, seven point four yeah. versus eight point three. So that is that is yeah. a small car though. I found I, the mm. CX five is is consider. I consider them not to be in the same segment. Yeah. The X Trail really has far better size than what the CX Five does. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so interesting comparisons. Anyway, it's it's always interesting to see what the uh, manufacturers pick out as you know they see as their competitors <laughs> um, versus you know it's, uh, what the traditional. But yeah. yeah, good on them for including the X Trail as well, the TI, because I think that's um yeah when you've got such a similar standard platform vehicle, it's um yeah it's. <laughs> Yeah, they usually for, shy for away from it, but no. Yeah, yeah, completely yeah. go, oh, this doesn't exist. Pretend you didn't see it. Um, <laughs> yeah, forget forget anything about it. Um, but no, so respect to them for that. Uh, but yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll wrap it up. We've uh, got our competition ending uh, tonight. So we've got um, quite a lot of... Uh, got a lot of entries to go through to read what Belkin accessory people would love to have in their car so I'd love to I'm, I'm interested to seeing what people are, are saying um, so that closes but stay keep tuned for uh, our next competition that will be out hopefully soon and um, you can enter that one um, if you want to catch up and, and read up what we're up to um, dailygodifix.com uh, of course uh, leave a recommendation you know a rating and um, and make sure that you're subscribed on your choice of podcast platform um, and if you have a question shows at dailyautofix.com and we'll happily answer them for you but uh, thanks again Joel Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo and uh, Mick Mick Williams at Low Flight Tech um, I'm Ashley and uh, yeah we can't wait to, to have you back next week Thanks, guys. Cheers. See you later. Thanks, guys. Bye.